Hello again, friends, and Happy New Year to all the Jewish listeners of the 605 Super Podcast, and welcome back for another 605 Super Podcast Holiday Star Wars, this one being Yom Kippur Star Wars, a first here on the Super Podcast, hopefully an annual tradition going forward. I am your host, the great Brian Last, and I'm very happy to be joined by co-creator of the 605 Super Podcast, David Bixenspan. Uh Are we officially going with co-creator? I would have preferred creator emeritus or something. (laughs) Okay. I think it's fancier. I guess co-creator is more accurate. Yeah. Well, that's what (laughs) it was. So, but what's going on, Bix? How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too, from, oh, you know, well, 10 days ago by the time this comes out. Yeah, yeah, by the time this comes out. But what's going on? Uh, I didn't realize as we're recording this, this has been such a nightmare week scheduling-wise. This is the first week I've ever had with every single show, except one. By the way, uh, big credit to John McAdam and Sean Goodwood. Every show but one major scheduling issues. Just people were away, people were on the road. So uh, even this, the Star Wars, has been pushed around several times. People were in, people were out, people dropped in and out several times. And here we are, and I didn't realize it. There's a WWE pay-per-view, you told me, going on right now. Yes, Hell in a Cell. They painted the cell red because, you know, of all the great, like, impact things you would want to copy, it's having a bright red steel cage. Why would they do that? That is a weird move. Who would I make don't that know. decision? Who would say, you know what we're doing wrong? People say we need to mix things up. Let's paint the cell red. Um, I guess that is that that would be our friend James's friend, Kevin. Our, yeah, well, maybe so. It took me a second to realize what the fuck you were trying to say. Uh, <laughs> as we were getting going, you said someone was injured. Was there something going on? You weren't sure if it was an angle or not? Uh, Jeff Hardy basically did the Joey Janela rafter spot off the inside of the top of the cage. And there goes my sister calling me. So hold on, you talk for a second while I hang up on her. Oh, this is going to be great. No. I, why, why didn't you just stop recording? You know, you just could have just stopped recording. I'm not stopping this recording. Been nice I'm and still smooth. recording, and I'm telling you to talk to the listener. Hold on. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm ranting to the listenership about this. Hello? <laughs> hey, I'm recording right now. I got to call you back some other time. I love you. Goodbye. All right. Sorry. You know, you could have just te- texted her. She's calling already. It just, it's such a pain in the ass to have to hang up this phone and then text her. Like, hey, sorry. People wonder why I used to I'm insist that you bits. were so much more Jewish than me. What's that? Say that again. I said, and, and you used to fetch about how, me saying you were more Jewish than me. Yeah. I am more Jewish than you. And you're the, but you're the one. Oh, no, you used to complain about that. Are you sure? Have you gone back I'm and listened to the archive? Have you asked Jace Nakarado? I'm sure it's on the Wikipedia page or the wiki, whatever. It's not Wikipedia. It's Wikia. 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 <laughs> when did wiki become such a popular word to use for sites that listeners I mean, it's a generic on? thing. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's public. I mean, maybe not public domain, but it's a, it's a, you know, a free license. Wiki, and wiki is a generic deter- term. It does not just apply to media wiki or whatever it's called. Someone went on Wikipedia recently after uh, the Magnificent One. Oh, excuse me, not the Magnificent One. Uh, Hiccuping Fabulous Mula talked about some of the films she was in during the Golden Age of Hollywood. Oh, no. And someone went on there and updated the Shirley Temple page that it said Big Little Titties. No, no, excuse me. Tig Little Bitties. It's one of the movies she was in with Hiccuping Fabulous Mula. And uh, this show's going to get a little more unprofessional right now. Suzanne's bringing me my dinner. Thank you very much. I love you. Okay. Um, that reminds me of something, actually. I, I guess I can share this part at least. Um, 
I saw the Bruiser Brody Vice documentary that's going to be coming out in however many months and that was screened at StarCast. How was it? I saw it earlier today. It was very good. I don't think people who listen to the show would necessarily learn anything new from it, but it was very well done. I'm I'm more looking forward to some of the later episodes that are coming, like Gino Hernandez. Yeah, the Gino is the one that everyone's been hearing about and wants to see, but with the Brody one, you said no one will learn anything new. I mean, at this point, there really isn't much new to learn, unless Jose Gonzalez just admits, yeah, I hated the guy, and I decided... Well, I'll say this. Uh, there is Well, no, there is one new thing, is that they do get into more the idea of why Jose did it than I've seen gone into in detail elsewhere. They talk about his daughter dying, and they talk about what? What, what do they say? About the idea that Brody had either bought into or was preparing to buy into the promotion, and that he was going to get rid of Jose. I, I had heard Brody did buy in. For whatever it's worth. I Abby outright says in the documentary that he himself owned 5%. I didn't realize Abby owned 5%. What was 5% of Puerto Rico worth? I don't know. Oh, anyway, I bring this up, though, because um, I noticed watching that documentary that a lot of Brody's promos were, in terms of delivery and like the cadence, kind of like the way that Terry Funk is King Curtis, Brody and Don Morocco were a lot alike. Really? I've never... I've never thought of it before. Now I'll go back and check it out. What do you mean? Like the the way the way that Howard does the Bronco impression, like the and here she comes, big titty and fabulous smoke or whatever. Just <laughs> keep going wherever you were going. You were, I was gonna was say magic. big titty fabulous Mulan. I don't know why that was why I, where my mind. <laughs> All right. By the way, what I said before was hiccuping Mula was in a movie. With Shirley Temple. Yes, that's, Michael, that's what titties. put that into my mind yes. for some reason. Not big titty fabulous <laughs> This is your fault, by the way. And Howard's. I'm choking. Now I'm choking. Anyway, um, I, I forgot what you were saying when you started talking about Moolah. Uh, uh, the bro Brody and Morocco having the same promo delivery, the same way that Ken Curtis and uh, Terry Funk do. Oh, yeah, you're giving an example. Please continue. So the same way that it's, you know... Sullivan, my son, and Dusty, you egg-sucking dog, where it's not the same promo, but the way they're getting into it is the same. With Curtis uh, and Terry Funk, I think if you watch the Curtis thing, there's one thing Terry Funk does that is clearly not from Texas. It's when Curtis, you know, sometimes he would talk about, and I tell you, like that, and Terry Funk would do, well, uh, you know, he would, his voice would quiver the same way. That's where I always saw the big similarities between him and King Curtis. See, I thought it was more in the general cadence of, and that's what I was seeing with uh, Brody and Morocco, was that the way when he's just kind of the where again, it's where kind of where he takes breaks, the pattern of the speech, that kind of thing. Yeah, they're they're very similar, except one comes to the ring with a chair, the other one with a meatball hero. One takes off to go surfing, the other one just doesn't like the promoter or the payoff. <laughs> I gotta go back. To, I can't. I'm listening in my head. I'm trying to hear Don Morocco and Brody, and I don't hear it. But the Adam, was there a good example? It's just I noticed it all of a sudden. I don't know if I can think, but it was very like Abdullah the Butcher type of thing. So a lot of people were waiting for this documentary series from Vice. How long was each episode? They're an hour with commercials, so like forty-two to forty-four minutes. Where are they going to be airing that they'll have commercials on Viceland? Oh. Viceland has commercials. Okay, I didn't realize that. I don't watch Viceland. Um, nothing against Vice, except uh, you know, it's funny. I remember. When Vice took over the building they're in now on the waterfront in Green, uh, I was just at Greenpoint in Williamsburg, I remember all the musicians I knew were up in arms. Like, how dare they? How dare they close Death by Audio? How dare they close 
Glasslands. I remember saying to someone, I'm like, what do you mean how dare? Like, these fucking people have been owning these buildings that were in the worst part of fucking New York for years. They had no hope that anything would turn around like it is. And now everything's worth all this money. They should sell it all. And that's what happened. And now Vice <laughs> owns the entire waterfront what? over there. Oh, you broke up for a second, I think. Oh, well, can you hear me now? That's why I said what? Yes, I can hear you now. Okay, well, there we go. You know, let me add another person here so I could, uh... Is it another Jew? I don't know if we have any other... Is it another Jew? Jesus. Yeah, jeez, Bex. Anti-Semite. I don't know if... Oh, no, uh... that reminds me, though. I Well... What? Go ahead. No, you go I was going to say, the thing I was going to bring up off the air and then realize I should save it the air is this is Yom Kippur Star Wars. How are we preparing for the more observant listeners to consume the show? Do they need a contraption, like a Sabbath-like contraption? They, they just need a Thursday. <laughs> they just need to wait one day. Well, if they want to hear it on Yom Kippur, like, well, how about this? Why don't you have it go up before sundown on Tuesday? And then well, they I mean, can I mean, automate playing it on Wednesday. Wait, 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 they can automate. So they don't have. It's like it's like on the Sabbath. It's like like on Yom Kippur. You're also supposed to only atone. So and so by having it automated, oh, no, you're not don't doing get me the wrong. I thought it would just going be, away from the atoning. I thought it would just be the Goyim listeners on actual Yom Kippur. I figured everyone else would just wait a day. At least okay. the observant Jews. You're not expecting Marty a Gold. Sabbath Marty elevator. Marty will be listening on Thursday. My good friend up in Canada. Lavender expect- Dolan will be listening on Thursday this week. <laughs> what were you saying, Biggs? I'm sorry. I, I don't know anymore. Okay. I, I named a couple of Jewish people and you lost. I was going to make a Sabbath elevator reference. I think that was about it. A Sabbath elevator reference. Um, you know what a Sabbath elevator is, right? Right. Yeah. For, you know, because obviously on the Sabbath, you're not supposed to press the button or use. I think it's technically so, you're not supposed to like activate electricity right. or as I've heard it put also make fire. Oh, okay. Well. There are reasons so, I don't observe <laughs> all the rules. Yeah, but the Sabbath elevator is the elevator that just stops at every floor. Yeah. It's also the hotel elevator. <laughs> just every time I go to the hotel, it stops at every floor. All right, let me add someone here. Uh, if I can find Is this person Jewish as opposed to is it a Jew? No, uh, what I was trying to say before is I do not believe we have any other Jewish people as of now scheduled because due to all the scheduling issues, everyone who I had asked or had intended to ask – uh, has not been able to do it. So we have a, a <laughs> we have an audience for Yom Kippur. We have a, excuse me, a panel for Yom Kippur Star Wars that uh, have no idea what Yom Kippur really means. So hold on, let me add one person right now. I'm going to go to the dial pad. Okay, is this going to be someone who is a poor humorist because he is not Jewish? It will not be. Okay. This, this will be another one of the rich humorists who are here on the Super Podcast. I don't, I don't mean poor that way. I mean that he would be funnier if he was Jewish. No, I don't think so. Well, let's see if this person picks up. Hello, okay. are you there? Yes, I am there. It's the late Dan Farron. Welcome to Yom Kippur Star Wars. Wait a second, Dan Farron's not Jewish? Oh. Is he? Uh, no, I'm about as ruddy Irish as possible. I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm Irish and, and actually I'm half Irish and half German. So if I'm not drunk, I'm attacking somebody. So that's well, it, what it comes And to. it does make sense that you're Catholic because you did come back to life. Yes, I did. I, I, but, I, you know, I, I didn't go into a cave with a rock in front of me for three days. I just basically survived uh, Cauliflower Alley for several days, and, and then I came back to life. Hey, Dan, your audio sounds really low. I don't know if it's uh, your mic. Oh, or... really? Yeah. Hang on a second. Hang on a second. This is a man in action. How about now? Now, nah, much better. How about much, now? Much, much, there much better. There we go. Better. Okay. 
That's why I get. I'm sorry. I've been I've been a little under the weather for a couple of days too. So I, I <clears throat> I've been I've been basically preparing for this uh, this show uh, by uh, by gargling with razor blades and doing whatever I have to do to uh, get my vocal cords in shape. So now I'm now I'm ready and I'm prepared. So sorry for the for the the slow start, but uh, I'm kind of like Greg Valentine when it comes to that. Well, so. that's quite all right. I'm going to ask you guys both a question. I'm going to start with you, Bix. I was trying to think about it. And there's really a, a short list of who you could say at the top, but here on Yom Kippur Star Wars, Bix, greatest Jewish wrestler of all time. And for the purposes of this discussion, Randy and Lanny Poffo are not Jewish. If you want to include them and argue for their inclusion, you can. Uh, I don't. I don't mind because I. I know what you're saying. You're saying that their dad was not Jewish, but their mom was Jewish. But they really weren't raised Jewish. So are they Jewish? Right. In the view of Judaism, they are Jewish. In the view Jewish of Jewish mother, in the, view of the Paphos are they Jewish? Not as far as I know. So th- no, then do not include them. You have to, you have to want to be included to be in this. <laughs> in this list. See, Medusa considered them Jewish. Does Medusa consider herself Jewish? Yes. I didn't know she was Jewish until you told me that. Yes. I told I, I I said on the air who told me that Medusa was Jewish, right? I don't remember. Who told you? Roy London. Roy London? When he was my substitute gym teacher. Wait, what? I never talked about this on the air. I have sure? no idea what the fuck you're talking about. No. PWI's Roy London was a substitute gym teacher at Long Beach Middle School. Really? Not when I was there. Well, later then. Roy London from PWI. Well, PWI, obviously, for those who don't know, PWI was located in Rockville Center, New York. Until 1992. Which was, which was, which is approximately, with no traffic, 15 minutes from Long Beach, from the middle of Long Beach. Um, And that's where PWI was. So where Bix and I both grew up several years apart was 15 minutes from PWI. I mean, basically, if PWI was still there when we were a few years older, we would have probably both been over there harassing them at some point. Oh, I'm sure. And he, uh, though, was of the people who did not move to Philly, and he was at least sometimes a substitute gym teacher in Long Beach. And he's now your pick for the greatest Jewish wrestler of all time? Is that where we are? No, no, no. He's the one who told me Medusa was Jewish, which he discovered. Actually, no, I already knew Medusa was Jewish because she had mentioned it on a resi show. He discovered it when he saw her in shul. No, no. Medusa said on a resi, sh- I think it was on a resi show, so that she said she thought she'd get along great with Randy Savage because they're both Italian Jews. Oh, well, there you go. Well, you can include no, but Roy London. You can include what? Medusa. You cannot include Randy Savage because he is apparently, from based on what you're saying, the Pafos do not consider themselves Jewish, so we will not consider them Jewish for this. Okay. Well. Anyway, he discovered Medusa making matzo bra in her home one day <laughs> and was surprised on. that a girl named Debbie Michelli was, was Jewish. Come on. First of all, what he, said. he was in, where was he in her home? I guess from shooting in Minneapolis or something. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's do a PWI and visit at home. Oh, great. I'll make some matzo no, bra. No. <laughs> I don't know. And then we can play a game of bridge. But anyway, uh, Bix, your your favorite Jewish wrestler of all time, or who do you think favorite is the best? best? No, no, who do you think is the best Jewish wrestler of all time? Uh, that would of course be future WWE Hall of Famer Kane. Didn't we decide that he wasn't Jewish? Isn't like what has he said? Has he said anything about that, or does he avoid saying things about that to uh, not alienate rural voters? I don't know, but he recently yeah. said he never did steroids <laughs> in his life. No. Oh. So I don't know. I don't know if uh, I guess it would alienate maybe some rural voters 
in uh, Eastern. What, was someone slipping it to him in 2001? <laughs> well, I don't when know everyone on the look at the pictures, everyone on the roster looks like they're on horse steroids in I, 2001. I completely agree. But anyway, <laughs> uh, well, I'm guessing you said that as a joke. He wasn't seriously your pick for the greatest Jewish wrestler of all time. Um, would Joe? Oh, oh, Boris Malenko. There we go. Even if I have, we haven't really seen him work in that's, his prime. That's a very good pick. The great Malenko, Boris Malenko. You want to talk about someone who was highly influential as a promo? Boris Malenko, the great Malenko. Yeah. So very good pick. Dan Farron, who um, some yeah. people have claimed was Jewish, but it turns out he's not. Uh, yeah. Greatest Jewish wrestler of all time. Can we go with Slappy Iskowitz? Is that uh, is that a Is he Slappowitz? And no, no. <laughs> Slappowitz. Yes. No, I'll make Brian right. hang up you on what. you if you go with him. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm going to tell you, from a wrestling standpoint, Bix did pull up the, the Malenkos, which uh, who, who I was thinking of. But to me, two of the greatest, and while there weren't wrestlers, two of the greatest uh, wrestling um, characters of all time, Ernie Roth, the great the Grand Wizard, and Paul Heyman. I mean, that's the first two people that popped in my head. I know they're not exactly wrestlers, but still, I mean, uh, uh, those those two guys are the top of the, the list of, uh, of managers and, and wrestling personalities of all time. So if we were going to go with most influential Jewish person in the history of pro wrestling, it would have to be Jim Barnett, right? I, I think you got a good point, yeah. I can't think of anyone who's more influential at yeah. that level, right? Because who's at that level? It's Vern, it's Vince Sr., Vince Jr. It's basically all the big promoters and power players. Sam Mushnick wasn't Jewish, was he? Uh, I think he was. Oh, cool. Ooh. Yeah, he might Bye-bye, well Jim well. Barnett. Jim Barnett just got bounced off the list. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Jim, Jim Barnett was so successful in so many different places, though, as a promoter, which is unique. Yeah. Sam Mustick didn't have to leave. Yeah, he, he I, went, Sam Mustick went nowhere. He went oh, to thanks, the office. Oli. He went to the office all the time, put out a program, <laughs> and just, that's it. Should we do some angles this week? Nah, not this year. Maybe next year we'll do an angle. He didn't have to go to other towns like Oli. Don't put Oli down. Oli's a Hall of Famer, by the way. I was just talking about Oli earlier today during a segment I was recording. Yeah. But anyway. And he's Polish, so close enough. But- so, Dan, your pick yeah. only wasn't my pick for best Jewish wrestler. Dan, your pick was uh, no. Ernie Roth or Paul Heyman. I, and Paul Heyman, yeah, because I was thinking I, I loved The Wizard when, when I was a kid watching that. And what always surprised me is when I finally saw him when he came out to California for a couple weeks to um, – they did a thing where he brought uh, Dr. Jerry Graham in and then uh, took, took him to um, Sir Oliver Humperdinck and took this ring off his finger and put the ring on Humperdinck's finger and said, you are now the manager of, uh, of Dr. Jerry Graham. And they went around, did this all around the different clubs and whatever. And the one thing that always amazed me was how big the wizard was, uh, that he wasn't really a short guy at all, but, uh, compared to a lot of the guys that he managed, it, that was the case. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, they're probably the, those are the two guys at the top of my head. I mean, I wonder, you know, just basically, basically way the wrestling business used to operate. Um, if, if, if any guys who were wrestlers or actually were Jewish, if they even admitted to it back then, you know, the locker rooms could be pretty rough back in the the forties and fifties. Sure. And we know that, well, Paul Bosch pretended to be Jewish. There's that. There's the flip side. Yeah. Yeah. That is the flip side to it. But uh, unfortunately he didn't pretend quite enough for, uh, yeah, to pass for some people. (laughs) as So the story goes, well, who do you think, Brian? You know what? Uh, I think Malenko's a great pick. You know, Malenko's a gr- good pick. Um, Mark Lewin, 
Yeah. Maybe near the top of that list. I forgot Mark Lewin. Mark Lewin. Yeah. I could see a strong argument for Mark Lewin. Goldberg. Yeah. I know Bix is going to shoot. I was going to say, yeah, there's, there's, a, <laughs> I like, there's I like a lot Goldberg. of people from I'm the a... last 20 years that would be would are screaming Goldberg for the last five minutes at us. Goldberg. You know what? Um, it's funny, though, I mean, because Goldberg actually used his real name. How many wrestlers, I mean, Cole Cabana, obviously, but are there wrestlers? Yeah. Are there a lot of wrestlers who are Jewish right now in the main roster? Bix, you would know. Uh, hmm. I, try, I tried to tone down the, uh, there. Um, let's see if we, do we have a current uh, Jewish wrestlers list? Also, neither of you mentioned Missy Hyatt. Oh, come on. Hey, you want me to name someone who most people probably don't realize was for a time during his career Jewish? Who? Don Leo Jonathan. What? He converted to Judaism for a while. For marriage? Or... I don't know exactly, but he said it to me. Uh, there's more parts of my conversation with Don Leo that will play on the show at some point. And he said, I don't even remember if it was on air or off air, but he converted to Judaism for a while. And he speaks Yiddish. If you talk to him, he'll start like shooting Yiddish at you. And you're thinking like, oh, this poor old guy, he's just talking gibberish. I don't know what he's saying. He's like, no, I'm telling you, hello, the way I used to on the street in Brooklyn. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> okay. Don Leo. Don't drop kick well, me. <laughs> Okay, here well, are the complete I, contents. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, was another guy, but he goes way back, and not a lot of people remember him now, is Ray Thunder Stern. He's somebody who also could be mm. considered in there, maybe. Made a lot of money in and real David estate, Arquette. right? <laughs> yeah, made a lot of money in real estate. And David Arquette. Um, You're just looking at Wikipedia and going with the first one you saw, which was David Arquette, aren't you? No, I'm not. I, that, that's a, David Arquette was the first one. I'm always... I'm always very bad to go with a gag one to begin with, so I wanted to be really serious about that. But, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I think... Uh, For someone what? who everyone hates that Arquette was a WCW champion... It was the he hated it just as much as we did. I was going to say, beyond that, everything I've ever seen with the guy, he seems like a good guy who's just a wrestling fan who was put in a stupid situation yeah. and didn't no, I say think, no. I think so, too. And he's been doing a, a lot of work out here and in Tijuana and stuff. And, and everybody that I've talked to that's been on shows with him or been around here have, has been very impressed by who the guy is and how he acts and how he carries himself. I mean, we've all worked for really bad bosses that made us do things we didn't want to do and made us look bad. I think everybody can identify with that. And he gave all the money he made in WCW to mm -hmm. Melanie Pillman and Louis Piccoli's family. Yeah. Wow. So, okay. So for the record, here's in the Wikipedia Jewish pro wrestlers category. Okay. All right. Okay. David Arquette, whoever Lior Ben David is, Tex Benedict, ben Morris the Blink Levy. Okay, he's real, but stop it. Um, <laughs> WWE head performance center coach, Matt Bloom, Albert, etc. Albert Jewish? You didn't know that he's Jewish? What the fuck's he doing with all those stupid piercings? <laughs> I guess you weren't still honestly, watching. I've never been able to get into him as a wrestler. Because of those stupid piercings. I watch him in the ring and I'm like, oh, ooh. You know, I just, I don't know. But anyway, I didn't know he was Jewish. Chaim, Matt Bloom. I presume you weren't still watching <laughs> WWE TV when Paul Heyman was an announcer and called his finisher the Meshuganator then. <laughs> I was not. The best thing I ever saw with him, I don't know why I found this so funny, but it'll tell you something that, it, that I did because it stayed with me and very little of what I see on those shows stay with me. Albert was out there when he was, I guess he was still, was he Lord Tenzai or he was coming out of that? And he was with uh, the Funkasaurus. What's his name? Uh, Burris Clay. Oh, Burris Clay, yeah. They're yelling at Fandango in the ring. And he just gets on the mic. He's like, hey, Fandango. 
and Fandango refuses to talk to him. He just wants to dance with Naomi. <laughs> and it's the stupidest thing ever. <laughs> but it was there was something so funny about it. Just him grabbing a mic, like, enough of this. Like, hey, Fandango! Like, I want to talk to Naomi. And it's so stupid, I know. But it stayed with me, whatever, four years after the fact. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what that has to do with him being Jewish. But anyway, good down to list, Mix. I apologize. All right, let's see. Okay, Matt Bloom called Cabana. Eric Cannon, Eddie the Brain Creechman. Oh, oh, I forgot. Oh, no. Eddie oh. Yeah. Okay, so then now we get our first current what WWE. What about Floyd Creechman? He's not there, but I, that, I don't know if that means he's not Jewish. The Skip Bittman of the Creechman family. But anyway, keep going. <laughs> um, we get our first current active WWE wrestler with Noam Dar. Mm-hmm. The Scottish Israeli guy. Rick yeah. Drayson, who I'm sure wrote his own Wikipedia profile. Um, yeah. Joel Gurner, <laughs> Bill Goldberg, Simon Gotch, another current WWE wrestler, and Drew, Drew Gulak, uh, Raphael Halperin, Paul Heyman, Barry Horowitz, Abe Jacobs, uh, Andy Raphael Coffin. Halperin? I've heard the name before. Let's see. I mean, is it current or is it an old name? Uh, oh, he was a wrestling rabbi who worked for Vince Sr. Oh. Really? Huh. Bring him back. Bix, did we break? I was, I, I just wasn't oh. sure what to think of that. He died eight years ago. We can bring back Yom before though. <laughs> bring him back. <laughs> bring him back. The wrestling rabbi. Well, we're Jews. We can't really do that. They should bring anyway. Undertaker back as a rabbi. <laughs> Andy Kaufman, Kelly Kelly. Wait, what? Apparently, yeah, I don't know about that one. Barbara, Barbara Blank? Blank. Well, maybe her family were crypto Jews. I don't know. Is she Jewish? Woo! That that changes everything. Okay. <laughs> I have to take a I'm drafting a Facebook message to Suzanne right now. Uh, <laughs> don't don't send her anything. I want her to bring me up another taco. But anyway, keep going. Billy Kidman. Billy Kidman's Jewish. I, I've heard that before. Oh, um, okay. I saw him. I got to tell you, that's the first time I ever saw a um, shooting star press live. Was Kid Flash at I want to say the first Eddie Gilbert Memorial Brawl, maybe the second one. First time I ever saw a shooting star press live was Billy Kidman before WCW's Kid Flash. Let's see. Yakov Kozalczyk, who is a Polish-Israeli strongman turned pro wrestler. Sounds like someone Anoki would have loved to face. Yes. Basically a Jewish great Antonio. (laughs) Don, Mark, and Ted Lewin. Right. Yeah. Medusa. The Malenkos. Ida Mae Martinez. Well, that's not a real name, though, right? Well, yeah, that's right. It's not a real name, but yeah. Huh. Uh, Wikipedia has her as Ida Mae Martinez Selenkow. Yeah, sounds Jewish. Yeah. Um, she's also a yodeler. And, oh, isn't that in the documentary, actually? I think it is. Actually, it is. Okay. Former XPW star turned WWE, like, NXT, like, IT and weird shit guy, GQ Money, while well, his name's... Brian Katz. Brian Katz. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, by the way, Mix, you, you brought what? up Amula and her big old titties earlier. No. Um, I have no. to say, I think um, <laughs> I think her husband made the right decision. I would have gone with Rita Cortez also. Okay. But anyway, keep That's going. not Ida Mae Martinez, though. I know. Yeah. Okay. Um, it says Lanny Poffo and Randy Savage. I want to hear them say it. <laughs> um, Raven. Right. Oh, oh, I, did I say Sam Mushnick? Uh, Here? We, we thought Sam Mushnick, yeah. Yeah. Ernie Roth, yeah. Burt Ruby. Oh, 
There's a name out of nowhere. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. The Sandman. Wait, what? No, it's not. No, he is. James Fullington? He's absolutely Jewish. Maybe through his mom. Why but... are you saying this? Like, this is like some no-brainer thing. The Sandman is because Jewish. Because na- part of the narrative about the <laughs> crucifixion <laughs> angle in ECW is they didn't realize until after they did it that it was probably a bad look for everyone involved to be Jewish. I never, ever, ever heard that before. That the Sandman was Jewish. Come on, there's no way he's Jewish. <laughs> what makes you say there's no way that Sandman is Jewish? I've never, ever thought for a second that he's. There's no way. I don't. I don't buy that one. That one's wrong. There's no way. James, I've Fullington? heard it a million times. The man was drunk, Bix. I wouldn't believe anything he said. <laughs> He's been sober for the last few years. All right, well, let's get. We'll, we'll have to follow up on that. I'm having a tough time believing that one. What, what's next on the list? Uh, who's Scott L. Schwartz? That's the that's the kid from the toy. Uh, that's the kid from the toy, Scotty Schwartz. No, this is a. Oh no, this is a different. Oh no, this is Joshua Bengorian. I don't know. Oh, who that that's is. that. Oh, okay, that's Scott Schwartz. Yeah, I, I remember him. I think he also. Was he Primo Carnera Jr.? No, I don't know. No, he, oh, you he mean Primo Carnera the third? No, that's a completely different person. The third, yeah. But uh, no, there was a guy out here named Scott Schwartz that, that that did do some wrestling. That may be him. David the Jewish Giant, Joshua Bengurian, etc. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. Hey, of Herb Abrams UWF fame. Is the Mighty Maccabee on the list? Uh mm-hmm. oh, Jeff McCants? No. Tomer Shalom. <laughs> Who the fuck is that? <laughs> um, let's see. Is this the guy that was doing the gimmick that like that David Starr called out for doing like an offensive Jewish caricature? Who the fuck is David Starr? No, this is a different guy. Okay. Uh, Canadian guy. This is a Canadian guy. Okay, so then David Starr was is on the list. Uh, Izzy Slapowitz. Ray Thunderstern, Matt Stryker. Uh, and it says, also says Victoria Lisa Marie Verone is Jewish, which what definitely wouldn't be huh? through the side where she's Verone <laughs> or Marie, probably. No, <laughs> <laughs> is that the whole list? That was the end. Yeah, that was the. I mean, who? I mean, as far as current wrestlers, like I know MJF is Jewish. Um, I don't know who that is either. Maxwell Jacob Friedman. <laughs> That's why he calls himself MJF. I take it. I mean, his real name, I don't know if it's his real middle name, but his real name isn't Max Friedman. All right. He's from Plainview. From Plainview? Huh. I see. Yeah. Suffolk. Okay, is there... Yeah, yeah, fuck Suffolk. Um, <laughs> like One time, me and my sister were watching, like, the, remember how they used to have the real estate cha- ad channel on Cablevision? Yeah. And, like, we never went to Suffolk much, so, like, we'd see these town names that just didn't seem real. Like you know, you know, the first time you ever go to like Penn Station, notice that that Spionk is the name of a town. Yeah, there's that a kind whole, of. There's thing. a whole line for Ronkonkoma. Yeah. <laughs> Ronkonkoma doesn't sound ridiculous though. No, it sounds perfectly normal. But uh, but anyway, um, uh, I mean, I hope all of our Native American listeners don't take offense to that. I don't think anyone will take offense to that. Uh, but anyway, I wanted to ask Dan. So uh, I saw you make some comments. Yeah. And I was very intrigued. And Bix, you haven't commented on this yet. I know you're a few years younger than me, but I feel like you probably would have seen this at some point. I put okay. up a few clips. I was editing the Danny Wolf segment for the next Super Podcast, and I was having so much fun yeah. doing it. But I kept stopping and YouTubing and watching things that he would talk about. And we obviously oh, yeah. talked a lot about roller games. Not that version of it. He wasn't involved with that version no. of it, but... 
I got looking at that because that's what I saw when I was a kid when I first discovered WWF or when I first really got into it mm-hmm. after Hulk Hogan's Rock. You're talking about Rock and Roller Games from Rock 89. And rock and Roller Games. Games. Yeah. It was the best. I loved it. And I just started watching it again. And uh, it's st- it holds up. It's still just a great show. I wish someone produced a show just like that. Maybe a little less gimmicky, but just the crowd was into yeah. it. Everything was good. And Dan was actually there. Dan was in the crowd. What do you remember yeah. about Rock and Roller Games? I got a, I got a whole bunch of tickets for them, and the, and the Super Roller Dome was actually like an abandoned warehouse where they had built this entire thing down at the at the uh, the docks in Long Beach, down near the prison, and uh, and it, it was they they did a great job of filling that place up. I mean, they shot those things on the on weekends in the afternoons, like on Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon. And they would either bust people in or they do whatever and they get it in there. And um, they always had music, live music going, and they gave away a lot of stuff. The only problem I talked about, as I said to you, is that damn theme song, uh, which will, will drive you absolutely insane. Rock, uh, they kept rock, playing it rock over. Rock and roller games. Roller games. Yeah, oh, God. And I, you both, as I mentioned, you both uh, sang point, half the song and you both blew the song. But anyway, keep going. Well, I just, I, the song blew anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but well, it, it, well it, 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 it's clearly not the musical masterpiece that World Championship Wrestling but, hold, is. But, but there were other lyrics there. Are there any? I watched the first episode, and they had the guy, and he's ridiculous. And he's wearing Brutus Beatles yeah, jacket, go, he's walk- said, walking through the crowd singing. Well, I, but are there any other lyrics yeah. other than rock and roller games? There probably is, but they weren't, they weren't exactly what I would recall as being memorable. But he basically went through the audience and, and would do that. And on a couple of the shows, the the fans got so annoyed by him, you could see him throw them throwing stuff at him. I mean, him having to dodge, uh, you know, uh, cups and things like that coming flying at him. But they didn't really. I mean, I I really thought after going to a couple of these, and I and I took Danny down to one of them, and, and Danny was of course horrified because he's more of a purist on, on a lot of that stuff. But uh, and a lot of the people that that were working roller games out here were on the shows. Um, but it was, it, it was, it was a really well done show. I, I, I don't know if it didn't make it cause it, it didn't draw enough or it didn't, or it cost too much to make, but, uh, I don't know if it was ever going to be a revival. I think roller, roller games, roller derby is really hard to, re- to revive. I, I just really think that it's something that's, they've tried so many versions of it. They, they try to do it as, as real athletic type events. They, they done the, the hybrid stuff where they did the women's leagues the last couple of years or whatever. I remember at one point when roller derby first or roller games first died out here, they tried to come back with something called Derby, which believe it or not was actually some sort of game that it looked like it was involving keep away with an actual Derby hat, uh, where they would throw it to each other, like, like Frisbee or something. And that's how they did that. Um, so there's been all those different ways of trying to do it, but the, the shows for the shows for high energy, they were well done, um, because there was so much action. There wasn't a lot of lag time. They did them pretty fast. Uh, um, and I remember also, it was a chance for me having not been able to go and see the T-Birds at the Olympic, <clears throat> excuse me. I, it, it allowed me to see Georgia Haas and, and some of these great, uh, yeah. you know, characters and guys, uh, actually skating again, Ralphie Valadares, you know? Um, I remember there was a guy named Ted Maroff that used to be on one of the villain teams all the time. And one time he called in to a local radio morning show, just, you know, for a prize, one of those kind of things I was listening. He goes, yeah, my name's Ted Maroff. And he, he, he talked about what his, his real job was. And he go, and they said, any highlights in your life? 
and he says, I, yeah, he says, I used to be in, in roller games, and uh, I think the highlight of my career was beating the hell out of a 105-year-old Guatemalan man. <laughs> uh, so he was talking about that. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, it was it was it was fun to see those guys in the team, and like I said it, it is too bad the shows, and I haven't watched them. I'm going to have to now. But uh, you you say they hold up pretty well, huh? Well, you know what it is? I think it's actually the best attempt that was made. Well, yeah. let, let me rephrase that. I think it had the best chance of making it because when I was a kid and I saw that, and it aired in New York after WWF Superstars of Wrestling, and that was always mm-hmm. a good spot. Like American Gladiators would be on in that spot, and. Yeah. Roller games had me and my friends hooked. We loved it. We actually loved it just a little bit less than we loved WWF wrestling. We loved it. And at that time, they were trying to do a magazine. I think they wanted to do a tour. Um, I, I, yeah. I seem to think that. I'm not sure. But we were into it. And we were into the storylines. And they had good storylines. And that's the thing. If you don't, if you've never watched it, they had good heels. I mean, Georgia Haas is maybe one of the greatest heel managers oh, George, of all time. Georgia Haas is one of the greatest heels of all time. She's amazing. Yeah, and she she could she could start a riot in five seconds flat. That woman had <laughs> had such talent when it came to that stuff. You, know, it's funny you mentioned American Gladiators when they first were doing American Gladiators. They had an audition out at, at a park in Burbank out here. And uh, I decided to go out and just kind of check it out or whatever. So I took my camera, was taking some pictures and talking to people about, you know, some of the contestants there and, uh, you know, about this and that. And I got thrown out of the audition because I was talking to them, uh, all the people about uh, how similar is this to professional wrestling? They did not like that at all. (laughs) And I was asked to leave. Yeah. (laughs) It's like the time I was. I was thrown out of the Midnight Special one time also for heckling Helen Reddy. So uh, back when I was, was a younger kid. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there, I took a friend to the Midnight Special, and they shot it at NBC, and Helen Reddy was hosting at this time. I remember this thing like yesterday. was hosting, and it was Jose Feliciano and Roger Daltrey and Freddie Prinze were all on there. And the thing was that nobody there really wanted to see Helen Reddy or really considered Helen Reddy to be part of rock and roll. This is something they were trying to do when, during the many different uh, theme changes they did. So she was talking to the audience, and it's, it's a bunch of bored people that want to see Roger Daltrey and, and those people. And uh, some, she said, anybody have any questions? Nobody said a word. And she goes, come on, my life's an open book. And I said, what page are you on? <laughs> and there was... <laughs> And about a 30 seconds later, this NBC page came over and said, come here, you know, and me and my friends got up and we were ushered out of Burbank uh, and, and into the parking lot for, for heckling Helen Reddy. That's a great line, though. <laughs> That's a great, great line. It's, it, it was, it's, it's my early training for going to wrestling. That's what it was, really, you know. Well, you, you know, so, but uh, yeah. Being out there, it seems like you have a real opportunity to attend a lot of interesting things. You got to go to Roller Games Live. You've seen all, the, all these wrestling mm-hmm. things. You got to go to the Midnight Special. G- give me a couple more things that you've uh, attended. Wrestling that standpoint out. or outside of wrestling? Outside of wrestling. Outside of wrestling. Um, well, I, you know, I used to do stand-up comedy. Uh, I did it. I did stand-up comedy in the 1990s and a lot. And I would wind up sometimes in, you know, working on shows with people who would either go on to be like bigger names or whatever, or or were famous to some extent. I I used to do a lot of open mics, and Jamie Kennedy was uh, was there all the time. And Jamie Kennedy was yeah. always a really nice guy. Yeah, he was always very nice. But the trouble was, he was always really, always really either high or really, really bad one way or the other. So, you know, no matter what you would, whenever you dealt with him, 
there would, would be all that kind of stuff going on. But one time, um, I was doing a, a horrible stand-up show at a place called the Coffee Roasters in Marina Del Rey, and um, I, w- I was really mad because I wanted to do, to do really well because one of the guys from Fireside Theater was in the audience. And you know, when you when you get to do a show where you have somebody that you admire to watch you, you want to do really really well. And this one old lady over there just kept heckling every every comedian that got up. And I made a big mistake. That is, I started to, to, to think about, concentrate what I was going to do if she heckled me instead of just paying attention to the show and just kind of going with it. And I got up there and she didn't heckle me. And I decided um, that I was going to, uh, oh, I said, I thought, I, okay, I started like almost like leaning toward like baiting her a little bit because I wanted her to heckle because I was ready for her to heckle me, you know. And she, and, and she never did. And I finally said, what, you're not going to say anything to me? And she goes, no, I just thought you were really funny. So I was just listening to you. <laughs> and I just slunk off the stage at that point. <laughs> well, oh, but here's this one kind of involves wrestling a little bit, but from the stand-up comedy, I used to do a lot of shows at Huntington beach and there was a guy there one time and, and he kept heckling with me and I, and I was, uh, and I, and I was kind of going back and forth with him. And finally I looked over, I couldn't see the whole figure. I just saw like the outline. I said, Oh, great. I got Jim, the anvil Nightheart giving me a hard time over here. <laughs> and everybody laughed or whatever. And I walked off stage and one guy said, dude, you should never have said that. And I said, why? And he goes, that's tank Abbott. Oh shit. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so I started packing my bag up to get the hell out of there really, really quick. Um, and I walked past and he says, he goes, Hey, you, I said, yeah. And he goes, Hey, you were funny. I said, thanks. See you. Good night. You know, and I just ran out of the parking lot before he got sober. Uh, you know, but, uh, there's all, there's all kinds of stuff like that. I, I mean, uh, my wife and I actually, when we first started dating, um, I got tickets to be extras in the, uh, the scene, uh, the, the big, uh, the big climactic scene for the, um, the Dino De Laurentiis King Kong movie. So my, I took my wife, uh, Good to, uh, to the, to the Coliseum and we were sitting in the audience for that. Yeah. It's weird. I used to take my wife to a lot of TV shows, um, when, uh, we were dating in college because the tickets were free and it was, it, it was the best, you know, it was the best entertainment in town. It's like going to a live stage show. And, uh, it's funny now, my, we were at this used DVD store and uh, my wife loves Carol Burnett, and I found this th- these episodes there. And I said to her, I said, you know, I think we were at this episode, and uh, we um, and we we bought it, took it home, and we found ourselves in the audience in 1974, wow. sitting in the audience. That's pretty. Cool. I'll send you a, I, I'll send you a screen cap if you want to see it. It's kind yeah. of funny. I have all brown hair then, <laughs> but yeah, I mean that's the, that's the kind of. Uh, that's the kind of stuff that we do. Uh, one thing that popped in my head from earlier when we were talking about the, the rock and wrestling theme song was that I worked my, the first shows that I ever worked on were these things called muscle rock and Mondo Guerrero was on there and they had live bands, but then the music was just awful. And Mondo Guerrero's theme song was nothing but his name over and over again. That was the entire lyrics to it. It was always, you know, they introduced him and it was like, Mondo, oh, 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 Mondo, oh, 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 
Mondo, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's kept going on and on and on. And, and to this day, uh, all of us out here still joke about that. It was, And he went on to use that after he left. He had a recording of it after the muscle rock thing ended. Uh, that we, we, we He wound up uh, using that uh, all the time. But those early shows, that was, it was an interesting time to get involved in the business because we were coming off of, uh, of, of the fact that everybody wanted to be, be in the business. Every used car salesman thought he was going to be the next Hulk Hogan. Every, you know, everybody out, it was trying to get into wrestling one way or the other. And the muscle rock shows were shows that we were doing um, like at air force bases and stuff. And it, they would do, they would bring in like David Schultz or some name or whatever to be the headliner. And they would use uh, CCW California championship wrestling guys on the undercard. And uh, I, I, I'm glad that I learned a lot there because it really was kind of like the R Gang Wrestling Show. It really was, you know, uh, everything was was really not very well put together and not very expensive. Um, and I got, but I got a chance to, you know, to that's where I met Conan, and uh, that's where I actually got to work a couple times with Eddie Guerrero, which was really kind of cool. Uh, poor Eddie, they they made they made Eddie wear face paint. I have no idea why. But they made him wear face paint, so we were calling him Ultimate Eddie in the back. Um, but he was such such a nice guy, uh, it really and truly was. And that that was one of the highlights of of, of my early career that way. So, yeah, there's all kinds of stuff that that, that happens over the years. Uh, um, I, I, but I'll give you another one, another great embarrassing moment because I love telling embarrassing moments about myself. My wife and I had gone to the movies, and the movie we went to see, we wanted to see Fast Times at Ridgemont High at the Sherman Oaks Galleria because that's where it took place, and we used to go there all the time. So we wanted to see the movie there, uh, but we got it was sold out. So we ha- wound up uh, getting in to see a movie called uh, Ice Pirates or Space Pirates, something like that, with that starred uh, Robert Urich. And we got in and there was nobody in the theater. There was nobody there. So we sat down and there were some people behind us and some people down front. And we were sitting there and the movie went on and it was just awful. And, and so my wife and I started kind of out loud because there was nobody around making fun of the movie. Oh, my God. Can you believe? That? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. We did the whole thing. And the movie ends and the lights come up and I turn around and sitting behind us is Robert Urich with his entire family. Wow. The guy that I just sat there and <laughs> insulted his movie for the last 15 minutes or last hour and a half or whatever. And he's sitting behind me. But the funny thing about it was I looked down and he looked down and we all walked to the exit very quietly and quickly. Cause I think he, even he knew it was a bad movie. Oof. That's, that's cringeworthy. Yeah, that is real cringeworthy. You brought up Conan before someone asked on the mothership today, was Conan ever any good? Mm-hmm. And I responded truthfully. Yes. No, no, he wasn't, but he was a sensation in Mexico. He was never. Um, I think. I, I think I, he was good, I, but I he just didn't care about it. being good most of the time. Uh, I I think that's probably a a, a legitimate uh, theory there. When I first met him, um, it was like the late '80s when he when we were working on the Muscle Rock shows, and he uh, he studied a lot, and he really had a lot that he wanted to do, and I mean, he really wanted to try to do this and try to do that, and I think that. Um, I, I think I think he was a, 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 he could have his moments as a wrestler, um, and I and I saw him in a lot of matches where if he had the right opponent, uh, like anybody, it, it could turn into a, a really good match. But I think that uh, between the health issues and all the other stuff that went on with him, uh, his claim to fame 
is going to be, uh, first of all, being the right guy at the right time in Mexico to, to get the, the heat that he did. Uh, and then also at the same time, um, being a guy that really was pretty smart about the business and, and, uh, I, I consider that the, the best stuff that he has done has been behind the scenes. Plus also, as Kurt talked about on one of those shows, he was pretty well freaking indestructible. I mean, the guy was brutally honest, could say anything to anybody, but always managed like a cat to have, you know, uh, all these different nine lives. And um, I would say that, yeah, that he was, he was an adequate wrestler. He was a at times, uh, and um, but his his claim to fame is more stuff behind the scenes. And, and as a um, as a politician, man, there are few guys as good as, as as Carlos is. I mean, he really knows how how to, to make that work, you know. Uh, but I saw I saw some good matches with him. Uh, but the ma- good matches that I saw were in in bingo halls at four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon with eight people there. You know, when he would, they were bringing the guys from Tijuana, and he would get his working shoes on. He he loved to uh, to work with Tim Talltree, Tom Ernesto's son. Uh, they had some some great matches, and uh, actually, there was a kid named Bobby Bradley, not the guy from the WWE, uh, but an, another local kid out here named Bobby Bradley, who was trained by Jesse Hernandez. And uh, he had some some great matches with him. So he was, um, you know, he he could be good, but. I mean, as the years went by, with that picture that I posted uh, from seven years ago, he knew at that point that he um, that he was basically, uh, you know, his his good wrestling years were behind him because he joked about it because he was wrestling with Laparka in the main event, the six man, and he he said to me before we went out, he goes, uh, "I think I'm going to do the uh, back rake of death tonight," you know, re- referring to that 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 the most he was going to do was throw a tennis shoe at somebody and rake their back. You know, uh, so I, I I think that he was wise when it came to that. But I do believe that he does deserve a, a lot of the credit he gets. But again, not always as a wrestler. You know, Bix, I don't know why this made me think of it. On the last Star Wars, you remember we talked about the No Limit Soldiers and Swole? Yes. Someone gave me Big Swole's. Actually, I shouldn't say someone. Mike Mills of the Book in the Territory podcast gave me Swole's phone number and said he'd be interested in talking. Do we have anything we want to talk to him about? You talking about going to New Japan? Is it like a gimmick kickboxer? Hold on. Should we see if he's available right now? Is this a bit? Or you actually literally <laughs> want to try to call him Paul while we're recording? Gonna, I'm actually going to text him right now. Hold on. Uh, here's his number. Have you been in communication with no, him at all? I, I forgot all about it until you, he talked about Conan. Does, and it made me think Does of, he understand what we do? <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. Uh, me, I mean... Uh, Hey, uh, what's his real name? Hold on, let me go back to it. Uh, is it, wait, is Randy the real first name or is it something else? Wait. It's Randy. Hey, Randy, this is, you guys talk amongst yourselves for a moment, please. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Bix. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, while I'm typing this, let me ask you a question I was thinking before. When we're talking okay. about roller games and I started watching in, in yeah. 1989, NWA, NWWE, or WWF. When you guys yeah. think about the first year the first entire year that you watched wrestling does it usually rank amongst your very favorite years or is it your very favorite year Ooh, hmm. that's a, I that's, don't think that's so. a good question although i also don't yeah. know what i would consider the first full year i watched wrestling <laughs> do you know the first full year that i watched wrestling was 1971 when i was living in baltimore and uh, the first time that I started going to cards on a regular basis 
was in San Bernardino in 1974. Um, I do believe that that 74, 75 period when I was going every week and seeing Andre the Giant and John Tolis and Oliver Humperdinck and the Blondes, those guys, uh, that is probably my favorite year of wrestling because also the memories are just strong. I do remember other years um, that were probably more exciting uh, or there were better, better match quality. I do find that that time in the 1980s when you had no idea who was going to jump to what you know, a group at what time, uh, was, uh, was a very exciting, I remember being at the sports arena and we had not known that ravishing Rick rude had, uh, gone to the WWF and he came walking down the aisle all of a sudden to have a, a match with Scott Casey and, uh, just the excitement that went through the, the arena at that point that, uh, that was, that was kind of, uh, neat too. So, um, yeah, I think I think my favorite years of wrestling were the times I was going on a weekly basis in '74 to '75. But that's just for memories. That's not always. I've seen had a lot other a lot of other years where I've seen some some great matches and whatever, and and those stand out to me also. Bix, pick up the slack. I'm trying to work. Bix, oh, I didn't realize you were still gone. Okay, I'm still, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not gone. I'm here, but I'm I'm trying to talk for a moment, please. Why? <laughs> um anyway so well i was waiting for you to do that before i did anything else all right is swallow responding I- i'm trying to do this and you're ruining the show talk okay talk to dan yeah Dan's i don't know what my guy. first full i i don't know what my first full year would be just because i don't i feel like i can't yeah. count that because like i think it'd be like the earliest wrestling memory that i can properly date is uh, the Bulldog stealing, excuse me, the Islanders stealing Matilda from the British Bulldogs or dog napping or however you want to put it. But I know yeah. I was watching before that if just because I had the Roddy Piper stretch wrestler and those are out very like briefly and for like Christmas uh, 86. So now, I, you... I was what I was watching wrestling constantly, probably by the time I was two. <laughs> Okay. When did you start going to matches? How old were you then? Uh, that was 91. So I was six. Did you find that going to matches live uh, made you more of a fan or, or since everything that uh, like, see for, for me, everything that I watched on TV was mostly squash matches. I didn't see any big arena type main events. By the time you were watching wrestling, they were, they were giving away a lot of stuff on TV. Did it, did you find that when you went to wrestling that it made wrestling more special or did it not matter? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I mean, it's a Nassau Coliseum house show. I mean, that's what I saw primarily for the mm-hmm. first several years that I would have been going to live shows. So, I mean, Brian can elaborate on that when he's done texting with the massive swole. But <laughs> I I don't know. I don't think feel like it made a huge difference either way. Mm-hmm. Um, no, no. <laughs> can I kick Brian off his own call? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it can actually you better not this is not the version i wanted either way I well you're recording too so i did that would screw it up that would mess it up hold you on this is the version i was looking for no no See, that sounds more like no that's the wrong spot i know but i was afraid you were gonna freak out you said no as soon as i pressed play twice <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's see uh has swole responded uh, I mean, it is Sunday night. The massive swole. The big swole, I believe, was officially his. Uh... No, I'm pretty sure he's the massive swole. Was he the massive swole? 
I've known a few yeah. massive swoles in my life. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> let's, uh, let's add someone. You here. mean like Jewish wrestler Lanny Poffo? That was not in any way like what I meant. No. He's a swole or not. He's a swole or not a shower. Or something. <laughs> I'm gonna, That's what he says. I'm just going to let you keep digging. Okay. I still can't believe you didn't know that he was saying a criminy or a criminy. I really wanted to believe it was gravity. It made everything so much funnier to me. (laughs) The idea that Larry Nelson has this moment and he yells, oh, gravity. I I, I want other people to yell, oh, gravity. (laughs) I love it. There's something about it. So you saw that all of a sudden Larry Nelson was a big fan of of, of a rap. Uh, Oops, there goes gravity. Oops, there goes gravity. That's what you were hoping for, right? Exactly. 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 I was going to add someone, and then uh, I had to check, and Bix got me distracted. Hold on. Let me see if this person is here. Hey, Bix, should we call Dominic's line? See, that's more fun if you spring it on people, though. All right. Well, hold on. We'll spring it on. Let me let me get at least one. Yes, yeah, so we'll spring it on whoever you add. Yes. yes. That, that works. Let me see. Where's this guy's phone number? Uh, I wonder who today's birthdays are. Oh, does he start every episode with today's birthdays? Yeah. I mean, no matter what, if there's a major story in wrestling, he starts it with today's birthdays? Yes. All right. The wrestlers and the celebrities and the fantasy tournament. Oh, my God. Wait, hold on. Last time we recorded, he was he just started the Texans versus the Samoans. Yes. Do you think that tournament's still going? I have no clue. Well, what do you think? I'm saying, what do you think? How many, how many wrestlers did he say were, was in it? I don't think it was more than eight. Well... I was going to say an eight-man tournament, but I'm thinking logically about this fantasy tournament that exists on the Dominic Valente Wrestling Hot Seat Answering Machine Hotline. By the way, apropos of nothing, this reminds me of how the other day I noticed that Evan Ginsberg's uh, Facebook profile lists him as producer of The Wrestler. <laughs> wait, wait, he, was a, he was associate producer, correct? Whatever. Yeah. I, I met. I talked to someone recently that ran into Darren Aronofsky. And he had no idea who the fuck Evan Ginsberg was. So, <laughs> so, you know, funny enough. And I'm not going to say who told me that recently, but they said, "Oh yeah, I ran into Darren Aronofsky." He had no idea. He just said, "Oh yeah, we got some wrestling people." <laughs> uh, hold on, is this person there? Are you there? I am here, Scott Cornish. Welcome to Yom Kippur hey. Star Wars. Shalom, shalom. Your phone sounds much better than I had anticipated. Because you're not on your <laughs> usual setup. You're on your actual phone because you're on the move today. And uh, you're a man on the go. That's right. And uh, That's on the right. line with you right now, Denim David Bixenspan and, of course, the late Dan Farron. Oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> you sound overwhelmed. A real brain trust. Very excited <laughs> yeah, to talk exactly. to you all. Well, someone else is being added to the call, too, though. What? Who could that oh! be? Oh! Oh, I know who that could be. <laughs> Let's see how long we can Hey, everyone, wrestling fans. It's Sunday, September 16th. Here on the wrestling hot seat this is Dominic. The day of hell in a cell. All right. I'll get to that in a second. Today's wrestler's birthdays. Please enter your passcode. What? <laughs> That's it. That's the whole thing. Wait, what? That passcode is not valid. Oh, Please you. enter your what passcode. <laughs> Hold on. How do I enter a passcode? I'm hanging it up. Hold on. Enter a passcode. No. Just enter something. See what happens. Just keep going. Don't stop. 
should I try again to see if that if try one of again. us triggers something? Be, that has to be an error. I need to know why he's so disappointed with Hell in a Cell. Uh, <laughs> he heard that. He was like, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Bix is trying it again. Wow. Hey, you doing, wrestling fans? It's Sunday, September 16th. Here on the Wrestling Hot Seat, this is Dominic. The day of hell in a cell. All right, I'll get to that in a second. Today's wrestler's birthday is D.C. Drake, Dan Crawford, Richard Slinger, promoter Tommy D, Matt Stryker, Wait, you and referee Scott Dickinson. Also, Early. Pancho Tequila has a birthday today. And... Celebrities, the great Peter Falk, Lieutenant Colombo. Uh, just <laughs> one more thing. Uh, also, Lauren Bacall, Susan Rutan, <laughs> Thomas like Bond, who is Butch Rafferty in The Little Rascals. Um, Darren Childs, former Channel 7 newscaster, Laurie Stokes. Um <laughs> Well, we're Let's scraping see. it this time, aren't we? All right. J.C. Penny, it's his birthday. <laughs> and that's not just a store. It's even a real person. B.B. Uh, B. King, Mark Anthony, uh, David Copperfield, and Jennifer Tilly. The day in wrestling history. He sounds defeated today. Oh, wait a minute. A couple more birthdays. Mickey oh. Rourke, Nick Jonas, oh. and Howie Schwab oh, from that show, Stump the Schwab. What? That used to be on ESPN Classic. This guy was a sports nut and knew, knew the answer to every question. Okay, the day of wrestling history. <clears throat> September 16th, oh, oh 1961. <laughs> Tex Riley and Len Rossi, oh, the pride of Dixie, <clears throat> defeated Mephisto and Dante in Chattanooga, Tennessee to win for the third time. The Tennessee version of the Southern Tag Team Titles. And to quote, um, yeah. the following Lucha, <laughs> that's ringing out some Melissa Santos from Lucha Underground. What? I'm and done. I'm tapping out. No, 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 no. Did you, you hung no, up with I, Dominic? I, oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. He was Dominic swallowed his pride halfway through that uh, that that episode. Oh my god! <laughs> my biggest like nightmare is having anyone clear their throat like that on the show ever. It would never get on the air. I'd be <laughs> I have spent time clearing. Uh, like if I've ever interviewed someone and they were sick, uh, I've gone back and I tried to clear up all that stuff, and he was just clearing his throat left and right. Oh my god! You know, I I never understand why people that do shows. That 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 mentioned uh, somebody's birthday is today. Why they include people that are dead? I, I, it, it seems strange to me. <laughs> That's a good point. You know, it just seems a little weird. You know, uh, you know, as 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 does, has anybody told Dominic that Peter Falk is dead? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, it sure doesn't sound I'm like still, it. You know, I'm stealing from the fact that it is not only Susan Rattan's birthday, but also yeah. DC Drake. <laughs> DC Drake got top billing. Don't let me lead with the SummerSlam news. <laughs> also, JC Penny, <laughs> who was a real person. He's not just not a sore. He's a person. <laughs>
There we go. The tradition continues on Star Wars. We play a few. Yeah. We see how long we can last. Usually it's how long could Bix last or I last with Dominic Valente's wrestling hot seat. He sounded like he was how, about how ready long? at one point to start selling Carvel. How long can my introduction last before it gets run over by Dominic Valenti? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, welcome to the show, Scott. What's going on? And let me ask you the question I asked Dan and Bix at the top of the show. Who is the greatest Uh Jewish wrestler of all time? Andy Kaufman. He was on the list? He was on the list. (laughs) At the top of the list, of course. By the way, I just got uh, I just got texted back from Big Swole. Uh, the massive Swole. Massive Swole. A big shirt. Your phone sounds or your Skype sounds awful right now. I'm gonna drop out and come back on. Okay. Uh, well, you may want to wait until I tell you what Swole said. Okay. What did Swole say? He, he, I was wondering say? if it was Silk the Shocker's birthday. <laughs> Not Silk the Shocker's birthday. <laughs> no, actually, that didn't come up on Lenny's report, so obviously it's <laughs> <just settled. laughs> it and he wrote, well, anyway, he wrote, yes, just give me the time and date. I live in the woods. I got your message late. <laughs> that rhymes. Holy shit. Just give me the time and date. I live in the woods. I got your message late. All right. I mean, I just sent, I just sent him the message four minutes ago. That's that's weird. <laughs> okay. I'm going to drop that and join right. back in. Wish me luck. We'll wish you luck, Bix. Bix has left the call for a moment to see if he could repair whatever technical issues he's having over there over at his side but uh here i we think are. i did you fucking idiot you're, I, you're the fucking ah. idiot i didn't do anything wrong uh <laughs> i just wanted to say that in clarity <laughs> well you sound much better i will say we'll say how do we hang up on bix uh oh, no. hold on. let me add someone real quick here dominic uh, valenti no i wish i don't you know i have dom's actual <laughs> phone number you have his actual phone number yes i'm not gonna bother him okay uh, hold on let me add this person just call, cold call the massive swell. I'm not going to cold call him. He just said he's in the woods. Cold call the massive Are you sure he didn't just meet? Are you sure he was, was he saying in the woods literally or like I'm in the woods like I'm in the weeds? I don't. Why don't you text him and find out? I don't have the massive swell. I will give number. you a number if you text him and just say, hey, Brian from the 605 just gave me. If you write exactly what I wrote to him, instead of Mike Mills, you say Brian last. I'll give you his number. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> Hold on, I'm trying to I'm trying to find someone else's number to add him. And uh All seriousness aside. <laughs> all seriousness oh, aside. Uh it would be in- Hey, congratulate. Congratulate me. I just signed a contract for my first Funko Pop. What? Oh, congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it'll be in stores very, very soon. The first uh Scott Cornish Funko Pop. Everybody's looking forward to it. Um be honest just between us uh what happened was they had a whole warehouse full of uh philip seymour hoffman funko pops that got uh, <laughs> pulled off the shelves and, and returned and uh you know just a, a little clever repackaging and we're good to go i'm adding someone right now hold on okay okay be ringing can you hear me you can hear me obviously let's see what happens i i i don't see a third person being as soon, the as, soon as they get on play it play a tape and uh or fifth. well let's see uh oh maybe they're not picking up here we go hi well, these are the time calling. my new spring office hours are from whenever i get the energy to whenever i get fed up with it so leave your name number and the level of your emergency and i'll do my best but i can't promise anything
memory full. Oh, there we go. That's <laughs> typical. Let me, uh, how do I hang up on uh, Jim Cornette? I'll do it. All right. Thank you, Bix. <laughs> and there we go. The Jim Cornette's answering machine has obviously been changed since the last time we've harassed him mm. on the show. Maybe it'll wow. Maybe it'll get him some more top ten votes. Jim Cornette's answering machine. But uh, let me add another person because he's been waiting on standby. And when it's a clusterfuck, it's always good to just keep adding people. You never know what will happen. Yeah. Uh, let me type in. This it's always person. good to add more cluster to the fuck. That's the whole idea. That's right. Here. By the way, I, you know I already express this on Twitter, but I really would like people to stop tweeting just random shit, gifts and stuff at Jim, so he can rant about them. That's every day. It's every single day. But yeah. It's just it's getting yeah. old. I mean, it's like unless there's something new to add to the conversation, it's like okay, yeah, we get it. He's not he's not gonna like the guys in Beyond making finger guns at each other. Okay, great. No, that but and, and I don't, honestly don't understand why anyone would. To be quite honest with you, about Yo, stupid shit like that. Yo, you Kurt. have reaped the cult of Jabrias, where you can pray to Yolanka, the space deity, gender shifting, shape shifting. Pacifying us all with his magnetic pacifying gun. Would anyone like to guess who I've added to the call? Oh, gee, I Dominic have no idea. Yeah, that would be Kurt Smell. <laughs> <laughs> Don't everybody speak at once. <laughs> well, once again, Vandal Drummond on the Super Podcast, along with David Bixenspan, the noted humorous Scott Cornish, and of course, the late Dan Farron. Dan, resurrected once again. <laughs> That's, that's right. Hey, hey yeah. Kurt, I got yes. Kurt, I want to let you know uh, that since the only time we ever seem to talk to each other is on this show, since you never return my calls, uh, <laughs> is that uh, basically <laughs> that uh, Kitten Natividad is doing an autograph show in, in L.A. next month. No way. Yeah, oh, that that sounds cool. I never met her. That'd be awesome. Okay, we'll talk later. We are so okay. there. And you Thank still you, have Brian, to for letting, uh, for letting us talk to each other this way. Absolutely. And you and Mary Lou still have to give me that tour of uh, the area around Spawn Ranch one of these days, too. Oh, sure. Yeah, the old, <laughs> the old Manson place up there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> we, we, live, we live about three or four miles away from the Spawn Ranch where, where the Manson family uh, hung out right before the, the murders back in, in the 1960s. And it always seems to be a, a very popular stop for uh, tourists out here to come out and see, uh, see the Spawn Ranch, the remains of the Spawn and Ranch. I and I'm actually even more intrigued with its history before the Mantinson family. Cause didn't they like? Wasn't that the site of a lot of westerns and stuff like that? Oh yeah, uh, there used to be. Uh, uh, there was the Iverson Studios there, and that's where they shot a lot of B movie west westerns, and they shot a lot of serials, and they uh, shot some some famous softcore uh, porn westerns out there, like Ramrodder. And uh, oh like yes, that. yes. Yeah, so <laughs> So, uh, yeah, speaking there's, of there's which, always something interesting to go to out here. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Speaking of which, I was just going through all the, you know, the Hulus and the Netflix and all the other, uh, as Danny Wolf would say, a strayed, sorted sundries. Uh, and I hadn't thought of this woman's name in years. And uh, only us old folks might recognize this name. name. It was a really, really low budget, even bad for a B movie. But one of the stars was Fanny Fox, the stripper who had that affair with a uh, oh uh, yeah, the title Basin Bombshell. Title Basin yes. Bombshell. Yes. 
Yes. Every, uh, every, every few years, there's some stripper who, uh, or whatever, who winds up getting like 20 minutes of fame or whatever. And, and they always wind up sticking her in some bad B movie. Like, you know, they would like uh, Linda Lovelace for president or something like that. Putting people in some sort of soft core movie that way. And it's really embarrassing. You know, it's it kind of like, totally you remember that, uh, at one the point, podcast, ECW the Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to be David uh, David Seville and the Chipmunks again tonight. Well, well Scott, jump in. What were you going to say? Yes. Just remember, you're talking about celebrity uh, scandals and uh, people relating it to pro wrestling. Remember the time that uh, ECW was so uh, <laughs> so out of ideas, they actually used Divine Brown on one of their uh, yes. TV oh, yeah. shows. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, people was still good then. That was in '96. I think I may have been there. <laughs> that was '96. I remember. I remember that great that uh, that great piece where Stevie Richards is chasing Divine with a handful of dollar bills, and she's she won't do him even then. <laughs> Does anyone think ECW holds up well? Well, in what sense? I I, I think so I think it would hold up if you had the original TV tapes. I thought it was a much better TV show than it was a long, well, obviously it wasn't a long-term promotion. But, like, I knew people who went to the shows, and some people enjoyed it from beginning to end, but I also knew people who said, yeah, the matches are good, but you have to wait a lot of time in between matches. You know, the the, pace, the place is kind of squalored, and, uh, which I think I would have dug. But uh, I have a hard time watching today because so many of the people involved met really sad endings. Mix, yeah. what do you think? Yeah, I all think the wrong that, ones, too. For, forgive me, Scott, jump in. I said all the wrong ones, too. There's ones hanging around. <laughs> I don't wish ill on anybody, but... I love it. Has anyone ever it. heard before that is, the Sandman was Jewish? I never no. heard. I never heard. That's what I thought. That'd be a great gimmick. <laughs> You see, Bix, no one has heard that I think Bix is dead. All right. Dan, what were you saying? No, I'm here. (laughs) We're here. You sound terrible, Bix. What I was going to say say about ECW is I think sometimes, you know, when you have so many imitations of something, when you go back and watch the original, the original never, you know, you've seen it so many times since then. I remember, you know, Kurt, when we used to go to some of those, uh, those AAA shows out at Cal State, where they were brawling in the stands and they were doing all this kind of crazy stuff. At that time, we thought this is the greatest thing that we've ever seen. Wow, this is unbelievable. And if you watch it now, those, that match, those matches still hold up to me sometimes just for the memories of who was there with us at, at, at the shows when we saw them. But uh, a lot of the stuff that they've done in the ring, unfortunately, we've seen 4,000 bad copies of it since then. And it has Amen. a tendency to dilute the original a little bit. I agree. And and with ECW, you know, we had XPW, and I, I'm glad it was successful for a while because some of the uh, local rookies at the time that we were good friends and love a lot were, you know, getting regular work, you know, getting a, a decent payday. Uh, but the product itself was just the most bland imitation of ECW because I, I think what they didn't notice, it wasn't just about the gore. They were still using kind of old school booking, you know, angles and storylines. And it seemed most of his imitators thought, oh, all there is to it is blood and guts. You know, the more foreign objects, the better. And it just, uh, I think it fell flat. Yeah, it didn't work. 
it's like a lot of people who, who, who are fans of B movies, you know, you have those B movies that really work because of the people understand the concept of it. And there's people like the Sharknado people who try to make them that way. And that doesn't work because of that. And I think that I agree with ECW, the ECW stuff uh, in many cases work, uh, the XPW stuff. Uh, um, it was always hard for me to watch it. And that had nothing to do with the fact that they fired me before the first show, but it had most of the fact that I was for that. I'm, I know you. What on earth is such a what on earth? You're such a good friend. What happened? It's called. No, this is. I was so fucking. Yeah, I was so fucking pissed off because what happened? Darren McMillan called me, and I want to say first off, Darren McMillan was a really good person. Passed away way too young. You know, and it wasn't from lifestyle. He he had, he had a rare form of cancer, but you know, he was kind of one of the initial bookers. And what, but why I was pissed off at him is because he called and left me a message uh, saying they wanted to use me as with the Lucky Pierre gimmick, and uh, he didn't tell me that somebody had just called Dan to tell him his services were no longer required. And it's one of the few times I hit the roof and I called Darren, but his machine picked up and I went on the tirade. And at the end, I said, by the way, I do like you, Darren, uh, and I hope you guys do well, but I, 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 don't, I don't even want to you know, see you guys for a while. I was livid. They didn't even have the courtesy to tell me that they already dumped you. Why did they fire you? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, well, because I, this, is, this is what I was told. Um, they, they brought me in and, uh, introduced me to, uh, Rob White or Rob Black or whoever the hell he was, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Rob Black. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, uh, they told me, they said, uh, the guys that I knew said that what we're going to do is we're going to bring you in and we're going to keep talking about the owner every week and whatever. And then we're going to bring out the owner and it's not going to be Rob. It's going to be you. You're going to be the owner and you guys are going to feud with Rob. And I said, okay. I said, well, I don't, I don't know how this is going to go with this, this porn and wrestling stuff or whatever. I said, let me do a couple shows. Let's just ease into it. Let me see how I feel. And if, if we want to go ahead at that point, we can. So it's the day before the show. The show's on Saturday. And I, it's in the late afternoon. And I haven't heard anything from anybody, like what time to show up, whatever's going on, whatever. And um, so I called up uh, one of the guys. And I said, uh, what's the deal? And they said, oh, well, Dick Dudley is upset because of the fact that um, you that that you did the Secrets of Pro Wrestling Exposed show, and that you exposed business, and <laughs> he doesn't want you on the sh- Yeah, Dick Dudley, the man. Yeah, Dick Dudley was the, a booker. Oh, can you believe the man, that? The, yeah, the man who didn't realize after a week I haven't peed in a week. I should probably see a doctor. You know, uh, but he basically, wow. <laughs> um, that may have been the meanest thing I said in my entire life. Uh, but no, what they did was, and I, and I got mad at them. I, they said, they don't want you to do the show. I said, you know, just have the guts to call me and tell me, I mean, I understand that. And the fact of the matter is I watched some of the shows and I couldn't watch it after a while because I talked about before, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, supreme and chaos for guys that we knew coming up and, I saw them being set on fire and blood gushing out of their heads. I, it, it, it bothered me as a friend to see In, somebody. Including you know, Supreme having a hospital stay because they had somebody who didn't yeah. know how to handle pyrotechnics. They yeah, doused him exactly. with gasoline and lit him on fire. Wasn't yeah. so that, I, you know, I, no, my memory of that is that they used charcoal fluid instead of lighter fluid. 
Yeah, I think that's yeah, like, that's In exactly other words, I don't know what they're doing. They don't know anything about that shit. And yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, but I, I did I wind up talking. Yeah, I I did wind up talking to the guys a couple of years later, and uh, and and they basically uh, apologized for me for the way it was handled. Not not Rob because he was in prison by that time. Uh, but uh, the other the other the other guys were, and uh, I can't believe I was just so mean to Dick Dudley right now. Um, well, Dan, but, can, uh, I, can I can I Dan? Can I say well, jump you know, in I, and I, I say I'm going to sound well, mean, say, wait, mean here because. I want to say I do want to watch ECW now so I can see Dick Dudley and said, yeah, uh, uh, see how that turned out, Dick? Yeah. Well, well, here's the thing that was funny about it. One of the things I said to the guys when, when I called up and I got mad, I said, I said, I don't believe you. If you don't want me on the show, that's fine. But if you don't want me on the show because of the secrets of pro wrestling, you got four of those guys already on that show. <laughs> yeah. And I said, when you turn around <laughs> – and I said, and you bring the pit bulls in in a few weeks. I said, which you're probably going to wind up doing. I said, just tell me the truth. Don't you know? Don't. And I, I think that that was an excuse they were using. I don't think that was the real situation mm-hmm. there, you know, behind that. And I can't also believe, you know, and like, I, you know, uh, I can't believe that 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 Dick Dudley of all people would be that upset about, uh, you know, about about this show. You know, because like when I did the show, the one thing I said to you was the only the only person that I was upset about um, uh, offending was Jeff Walton, and Jeff Walton had no problem with it uh, when, when we mm-hmm. talked later on. And in fact, I never got really any shit from anybody, um, a, a, a wrestling wise or whatever. Um, there was a guy on the internet uh, that basically oh, this is great. At one point. Yeah, he remember he offered he offered something like a thousand dollars to anybody who would hurt somebody who was involved with the the Secrets of Pro Wrestling show. And I wrote back to him and said, "I'm the referee. I'll throw myself down a flight of stairs for a hundred bucks. Is that okay?" And he never responded back to me after that again. <laughs> and the funniest thing is, about a week later, he went on this long internet tirade, upset because people wouldn't like. You know, donate to his cause. He wanted people to send money to him so he could give the thousand dollars away. Wow! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get some of the freakiest people in wrestling. By the way, oh, I have some breaking news. Um, according to a tweet I have received, Mike Lano was just on Sirius XM for some reason. Priceless. <laughs> on Priceless. The, on wow. Weinstein Channel or? No, on No Holds Barred, talking about Don Jardine and Mel Mascaris for some reason. What's No Holds Barred? It's a it's a wrestling show on um, Sirius XM, I presume. Okay, I don't know. I don't know. Obviously, they're getting rid of the crop of guests. Yeah, bold counter programming for uh, Hell in the Cell, which is airing right now. <laughs> well, they also offer such great hosts like Bubba Ray Dudley. Oh, he hosts uh, that show. No, he hosts. Yeah. Oh. Now, I I if I had if you I had up, uh, oodles of money, I would offer a thousand dollars to anybody who could get. Mike Leno and Bob Barnett on the same radio show together. Oh, oh if we, if we were going to do that, I would up the ante. Let's let's go right to ten. Same here. Dollars. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Scott, what you were did you mention? Uh, you mentioned Rob Black, and I just had a comment about him. There was a period of time where, I mean, while he was running XPW, he was the absolute scourge of the wrestling industry. He did a thing where he tried to buy the ECW arena and shut everybody else out. Mm-hmm. People just absolutely yeah. de- despised him. And at the same time, he was still running Extreme Associates, the, the porn group, 
uh, making porno movies, and he was the, the absolute scourge of the porno industry. He imagined that at yeah. the same time, he was the most hated person in porn and wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, funny, yes. The funniest thing is that he probably, okay. I bet you, I, I bank that he would not have gone to jail if he, if, was it like one of those shows like 2020, I can't, I can't never remember Nightline or something, where he pretty much dared them to come after him, like, and said, there's yeah. nothing they can do about it, and they came after him. Well, wasn't there an incident <laughs> where they what, jumped what, what, the wrestler and they cut off his finger or something? Am I remembering well, wrong? Well, El- Messiah. But- Messiah. They never found anyone, but uh, it's widely believed to be that he sent two goons to cut off his thumbs and then also try to cut off his penis. But they only got one thumb and didn't get further than that. To Messiah's credit, I must say uh, I I talked – I can't remember if it was Supreme or one of the other locals, but a few months later I was talking to them about it, and they said, said, damn, Messiah's taking it well. He says, yeah, this is the hardest thing in my life. I lost my thumb, and I can't play Nintendo anymore. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't think of that. He also did in matches so, where he'd try to eye gouge someone and then for, and forget that he had no fun. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. I love it. I love it. <laughs> no, I, I, I give that guy. He had uh, – Messiah had gumption. I, I, I like him just for that. Was anyone in attendance for the New Jack Vic Rhymes scaffold match? Any no. California guys? No. No. Nope. No. And I also wasn't there, uh, but I, I would have liked to just seen. I mean, I didn't like it because some of my uh, good friends got their butts kicked. But when XPW tried to raid the ECW pay per view at the Olympic Auditorium and were hustled yeah, out, and the wrestlers beat the crap out of them. That was not a real bright idea. That was not a real bright idea. What happened? And Rob Black was not one of them. He sent. He had them go there, and Rob Black let them be the sacrificial lambs. And then the wrestlers well, started fighting? Well, I, I don't know this story at all. What happened? Well, there was a pay-per-view at the Olympic Auditorium that the ECW did. And a bunch of the XPW guys decided to go down there and disrupt the pay-per-view. And uh, I think what happened – I don't know. You know, There's all kinds of always talk of conspiracy theories and whatever. Mm-hmm. But supposedly um, they uh, ECW got a, a guy locally here – who was familiar with the local guys and paid him to stand at the entrance and point out to the ECW guys who, as they came in, who the XPW guys were. So they had an idea, uh, you know, and, and, and supposedly from there, that's when it, um, that's, that's when it all fell apart. They went out into the, the parking lot and, uh, and eventually had a, a giant ass fight and they were way, way over, uh, overmatched. A, a very, yeah, I heard it was a very one-sided fight. I heard the only one who actually got any offense in of the locals was uh, Supreme Lester. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was famous because I, I, I believe, I don't know if it, it I don't know if, if they paid attention to it on the pay-per-view itself or how it, it basically broke down. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, I never uh, saw the pay-per-view. I, so. I always assumed, I always assumed that it, it didn't pick up on the pay-per-view. I heard they just took it outside and just whatever fans followed them outside got to witness the event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Masai was supposed to be down there that night, but uh he tried to hitchhike and never made it. <laughs> hey, Kurt and Scott, let me ask you two guys a question that Bix, Dan, and I were talking about before. Kurt, I'll start with you. If you think back mm-hmm. to 
the first year that you watched wrestling, the first entire year that you watched wrestling, where would you rank that year amongst your most favorite as a fan? Oh, absolutely my favorite. And, and I think even, even though people might say, oh, this era was best, this era was best, there's nothing like that first year you catch the wrestling fever. You know, I even know people who started watching L.A. wrestling like in 77 when it was really on the down, you know, you know, <laughs> going off the cliff and into the sea. And even they have fond memories of that first year. And uh, I mean, one of my fondest memories was the first time I ever saw a, a, a heel turn babyface. It was when, uh, you know, on KCOP in the studio. Ernie Ladd would be in all the heels' corners, whether it was a jobber or not, and he'd be giving him advice to do the match. And when Kinji Shibuya was there, Kinji Shibuya turns to him and tells him to get out of here. I don't need your help. Like, you know, uh, you know I've, I'm the senior wrestler. You, there's nothing you can do for me. And then by the end of the match, he lo- Shibuya loses to the jobber. I I think it might have been like John Birch or uh, Pon- not Pantera Negra. He wasn't a jobber. Um Lou Anthony, it might have been. But they're just, you know, he loses because they're fighting outside of the ring right in front of the cameras. And, you know, then they're calling each other out. And it's the first time I ever saw Gene LaBelle stare into the camera and scream, Wow! <laughs> and he did it so loud, all the, all the people were mimicking him for about 10 more minutes. <laughs> well, and that was a rush because I didn't even know the con- concept of a heel turn. So... You know, I saw many good heel turns uh, many times before, probably ones that were better executed, but that was the first one I saw, and that was the one that gave me the high. It's, you know, there's nothing like that first rush. And I, one of the things I think is kind of sad is when older fans mourn the loss of great wrestling and keep hoping it's going to go back to the old days. And I'm saying, you know, it's like a junkie hoping that the fix will make them feel as good as it did the first time they tried it, you know? <laughs> That's a great way of looking yeah. at it. Yeah. Scott, what about you? First year. Well, when I was younger and watched it with my older brothers and my dad, I don't think I really picked up on it all. It was just that it was all exciting to participate in some activity with them and kind of got into with their excitement. So not then, but let's say however many years later that I sort of rediscovered it on my own, um, it was just so it didn't take long for it to grab me. It was just so funny and so wild. So what, whether it was the, the greatest time ever in wrestling, how I would rank it at that, probably not if I sat and thought about it, but it was the feeling that you could not wait for this thing to happen again. Uh, the next week. Absolutely. And, I, and mm-hmm. I'll say even, even seeing that in the late seventies, early eighties and stuff like that. Yeah. I really, it really captured me. I, but it probably I started to get that feeling and it really, once I started to see say Georgia championship wrestling a year or two later, but that, that, that was really wild. That was really crazy. So I cannot wait for this thing to happen again. Yeah. I, so I, first, I especially remember in Georgia when the, uh, Morocco Piper, uh, feud started. I remember, yeah. I remember popping like I was a kid again and, uh, Oh, next to 72 in 83, when I discovered New Japan, that was a rush, too. Oh, sure. When did you first get Georgia out in California? Oh, wow. Um, It was one of those things where cable was still kind of a luxury, and it wasn't necessarily in the richer areas. It just some areas had it, some didn't. So if you found somebody 
who had Georgia wrestling, there was sometimes, you know, parties of six or seven people saying, you know, just watching the TV yeah. matches, watching the squashes. And uh, I think uh, where I grew up, I think, oh, I remember we got um, we got cable wrestling, uh, cable TV in Fullerton in 1982. And that was another rush for me because I loved, I loved the yeah. thought that I was watching live wrestling from Madison Square Garden. I, I just thought that was the ultimate and it was it depends <laughs> yeah. it wasn't until 83 when i got a right. vcr it depended on when they about right rolled it out time wise yeah yeah i think it depended on when they rolled it out because originally a lot of the cable i remember went out here in the early 80s uh, you know, you you can get HBO or on TV or something. It wasn't it wasn't until they started having all the multiple channels from all over the place that you wound up having this whole area open up. And I remember there were some even strange little little um, uh, pr- um, stations that I had no idea what they were that would be running reruns of of, of like Ann Gunkel and stuff like that. Uh, and yes. it, you know, you had to. Yeah, you had to look for it for a while, and then you know, but you could find it. And I remember Saturday mornings, I could get up at at six o'clock in the morning and watch five straight hours of wrestling without a, without a, a, a yes. break anywhere in there between between uh, the Bill Watts and and I used to watch on the W uh, W O R the, uh, the the New York feed for uh, WWE and uh, Pro Wrestling yeah. This Week and and all the different. Uh, uh, world class was out here at, at that point because they were hoping to come out here. I mean, it really was a bonanza that way. You could wa- you could watch five six hours on on Saturdays alone. Yeah, world class. I don't know if you know this. They actually had an office on Sunset Boulevard, but I don't think yeah. anybody ever what? ever actually. Yeah, a friend and I found out. We were just looking through the paper in the L.A. Times, and somewhere in the back of the sports section, it was like just this little very very plain rap announcement just saying world-class wrestling is setting up offices at like five, six something sunset Boulevard had an office number and anything. Um, but to the best of my knowledge, they never even used the office. I, they never. Yeah. Came. At one <laughs> point, at, at, at one point though, they did do a couple insert interviews, uh, hinting that they were going to be coming out to Los Angeles. Cause oh, I, I didn't know about that. Chris Adam- yeah, they had Chris Adams on there, and he was saying, you know, hey, everybody, do you remember me? And I kept thinking, yeah, we do. Don't come out. Uh, <laughs> but they, but they, they Keep an eye on your wallet, send, people. Uh, send Genie. Yeah. <laughs> they had the Fantastic <laughs> song. You know, the Fantastics were built from the City of Angels, right? So they were on there. Oh, this, so here are this was guys before that. With Southern with Southern accents and they were going, you know, Hey y'all remember us? We're hometown boys and we're coming back to see you guys soon. You know? Oh, the one, the office I was talking about, that was even earlier. That was like in 1982 really? when they made the announcement. Oh my God. And it, yeah. Yeah. And we were, we even toyed with going to the office to see what was there, but we thought, no, they don't probably don't want a couple of hippies coming in saying, Hey, what's going on here guys. I tell you, Jimmy Cyclone mm-hmm. could have been big and world-class. He could have been the fifth Von Eric brother. I could have been a big flop. <laughs> I missed my calling. I could have been the best popcorn vendor in the sportatorium. Is there a world where world class could have succeeded in Los Angeles coming out there? Yeah, mm, I, I don't know. The only thing is a lot of a lot of promotions in other regions didn't understand that California is a different land because I a lot of people claim they never said this today. But I remember back in the 80s, uh, 
there was some talk of and you know uh end coming out and they did eventually but people were saying oh my god the rock and roll express are going to go over so huge in hollywood you know the center of rock and roll i'm saying um no no kurt kurt i you don't think they would have given up when they finally did come to northern california i uh uh, Meltzer was at one of the shows and said they were just getting booed like crazy. Because, I mean, yeah, they look like rock and roll maybe in uh, the South, but back in the 80s, they did not look like rock and roll in California. <laughs> Nothing close. And that's no see, that's no diss of them. They, they're they awesome. They're one of my favorite teams see, ever. But Kurt, oh, I say, say Kurt, see, the thing to me is I, I would feel like I would have to, to see – the first show to see how the audience reacted to it, to gear toward it. Because like, I think with world-class now, whether or not the Von Erics would have gotten over here, I don't know about that, but with your undercard stuff, uh, with some of those guys, and, and they brought in some of the Hispanic stars and the Lucha guys, they might've been able to do something. I remember going to that first, uh, show at the Olympic when, uh, when, uh, the UWF, Bill Watts's group came out and uh, you could just tell from that first night that the, the fans just weren't going to go for this. It wasn't going to, it wasn't going to work though. I went to the first uh, at the forum when they did the first uh, NWA show out there and uh, the crowd was through the roof for everybody there, but they had That's loaded cool. that card up so much. I mean, it was dusty roads and flair it was rock and roll at midnight. It was Tully wow. and uh, Wahoo McDaniel. They did, uh, they did, um, Oh God, that was oh, it was one of the last time I got to see Magnum right before his accident. Magnum against Nikita. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they had loaded that show up, and it was jammed, and you would have thought it, it was going to, you know, it was going to be gangbusters. But the, the the as the cards went on after that, and as the thing switched over, and you're getting down to Flair and Michael Hayes, it's just not or Flair. And no offense to Brad Armstrong, it just wasn't going to pull in in Los Angeles. They couldn't keep right. it going. And, you know, that's that's the whole thing. So I mean. In the beginning, you know, the rock and roll did pretty well in the very beginning. And, uh, but mm-hmm. after that, after a while, it's just that it just burned out. It just, they weren't bringing in, and, and, and as the wrestling got less interesting in general that way, uh, the fans stayed away, and that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I remember the Bill Watts. I, I, I heard the Olympic show do, do pretty decent, but I went the next night to the show in Irvine, and there's maybe 300 people there. And then I, uh, yeah. I had a friend who went to the one at the San Bernardino Arena, and he said there were not even 90 people there. Um, yeah, yeah. It just, it just wasn't <laughs> it, the, the way it was promoted badly. And they brought a bunkhouse stampede in, and uh, they, they, they brought, they did a lot of color, obviously, and stuff like that. Uh, but also, they mixed a lot of local guys in to fill it out. And it just didn't, it didn't work. You know, when, when the WC, the uh, uh, NWA came out, they would have one or two people, local guys wrestle each other in the opening match to get everybody warmed up. And then it became an NWA show. What the, the Watts guys were doing was mixing in um, the, the local guys in with their guys and putting their guys over. And it, for the fans, it was just like, okay, we've seen Jack Armstrong lose before on TV. Why does it matter right. to us now that he's losing? You know, why should we pay money and see that? And they, they did a horrible gimmick thing uh, with the main event bunkhouse stampede 
where earlier in the evening they had uh, somebody had beaten up Chavo Guerrero and busted him open, and they announced that he wasn't going to be in the bunkhouse stampede, and they had the bunkhouse stampede, and they got down to like the last two guys, and Chavo ran in with the spirit of '76 uh, wrapping around his head, and uh, busted <laughs> open both guys, and he won. And for a lot of fans, it's like, but he's, already, he's already bleeding. He's already bleeding when he came in. You can't really count that. Uh, you know. Yeah, who does he think he is, the HIV kid? <laughs> hey, make sure, you, uh, Brian, make sure you ask Kurt about who his favorite uh, Jewish wrestler is, because I, I, we haven't mentioned Yom Rapport for a while, so that's all. <laughs> Kurt, who's, uh, who's the greatest Jewish wrestler of all time? Yom Rapport. <laughs> because he defeated the Ku Klux Klown. Okay. This is Yom Kippur Star Wars, by the way, if I haven't said it to you before. <laughs> That's sweet. Then, then, like we said on that previous podcast, Brian, um, I, I, since I was 13 years old, uh, as long as I had curly hair, uh, people say, hey, are you Jewish? <laughs> and when I said no, if it was a woman, my oldest brother would chastise me. He says, they, they were probably like uh, going to pick up on you if you're Jewish. You blew it. <laughs> um, Bix. <laughs> What's going on with that pay-per-view? Uh, let's Anything? see, I'm not really able to actively watch it. Are people right complaining now, about it, the red cage? Uh, I mean, they were when it was being built. I wasn't paying attention to what people were saying during Hardy and Orton. Right now, it's Miz and Maurice versus Daniel Bryan and Bree. Oh, boy. Ooh. Sounds like I'm missing that, a lot. That cage, the opening cage match with Orton and uh, Hardy was, was pretty brutal. <laughs> I mean, and I don't mean That's in a bad way. Orton got messed up bad <laughs> from the look. Mm. Wow. And, they, and uh, I saw something where, where he was taking a screwdriver and sticking it through uh, Jeff Hardy's yeah. uh, piercings. Yeah. He, he, took the, he, he got a screwdriver. He stuck it through that big loop in Hardy's ear and he turned it and twisted it around. Oof. <laughs> <And> <laughs> every, every, They've been doing a lot of stuff with the ear piercing. I go, well, that, that is new. And I, if I recall, <laughs> the audience and me were going, oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, criminy. Wow. It's a good thing Don Carter go. wasn't in that match. <laughs> Lucky. Gives you, gives you something to look forward to on those cheap indies where uh, people are going to try to uh, one-up them. Oh, on yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It'll be done. <laughs> totally. It's crazy that's that hardcore shit's still around. I mean, if you think about how many different styles of wrestling have come and gone, we're going on over 20 years now for that specific style, which some people call garbage wrestling, some people call hardcore wrestling. You know, especially when you incorporate the light tubes and the staple guns and all that shit. It really is amazing people are still doing that. Oh, I know. Well, I mean, it gives people a chance to do to be involved in wrestling that don't have any talent. You know, See, I here's mean, where I'm going to disagree you, with you, though. Yeah, like I, it's really? not the rule. Like there absolutely are cases like that, but there, there are a lot of guys who do the death match stuff right now that I think are better when they're doing regular matches. The, the thing is, mm-hmm. and I think the thing it's hard for people to get sometimes is that there are guys who do it because they like it. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> there's one incredibly strange show up in San Francisco. Uh, I, I was not on it, and I gla- I'm glad I wasn't on it because. I guess they opened the show with two minimally trained guys who were huge ECW fans, and so they did this um, match where they, yeah, did the they did the light tubing, they did the barbed wire, uh, broke panes of glass over each other's head, and uh, <clears throat> when the match was over, uh, all the other workers says, "We're not wrestling in that ring." 
<laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was so much crap in the ring that you couldn't wrestle in it without, uh, you know, juicing your I whole body. To, I used to work in a hardware store, and if he, somebody accidentally dropped one light tube in the middle of an empty aisle, he said, oh, God, stay out of there. We've got to wait for it to settle. <laughs> somebody, yeah. somebody go yeah. get a broom and, and stay away from it. Then no, I'm amazed there haven't been people... I, but I saw hardcore I'm amazed there's people with and, more infections. Oh, my God, yeah. But I saw a match that involved all kinds of light tubes in Philadelphia once. First time I ever saw a really extreme death match type of thing. Tons and tons of death tubes, and uh, or, or, or light tubes. And uh, they, that audience couldn't get close enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You talk about pyro going wrong, you know. (laughs) One before that, remember, Dan, this is another one one where I was not there, but I know you both, you and Mary Lou were there. And it was before the whole hardcore wrestling thing was really huge when uh, our dear friend, the late Stephen DeLeon, wrestled Tim Talltree, and he just juiced, uh, he hit an artery, and it was spraying the audience in the front row. (laughs) Yeah, it was uh, it was really bad. He would he would lean. I was working on that show, and he would lean. Stefan would lean forward, and it would just flow like a, like a a faucet had been turned on out of his head. And we called nine one one, and uh, the you know they came out, and of course the cops heard about it. And they came out too, and uh, they went up to Mondo Guerrero in the dressing room, and and they were taking care of him, patching him up, and um, and they said to Mondo. Um, uh, what happened here? And he goes, it's a pro wrestling show. And the, one of the cops said, oh, so he cut himself. And I thought, oh, my God, what are the odds of getting a smart wrestling fan cop? To, uh, to come in and, and, you, know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but, but I mean, that was, remember, Tim Talltree, mm-hmm. who, who did it, was ready to retire from the business because it, it just, uh, and I actually knew two people there who thought wrestling was fun and never came back again. After that, oh my God! Uh, I never wanted yeah, to see I a could... wrestling show ever again because they were horrified by it. And and we've seen yeah. some some gusher nights where there there had been stuff where they just overdo it, and and that's the that's always the problem with with blood. And I know that a lot of guys, and, and you can speak for this, Kurt, because of that when you first started wrestling, I bet you couldn't wait to to choose, right? Oh hell yeah! You're just like, oh boy, I'm gonna get color, and is this gonna look so dramatic, tragic, everything? Um, yeah. And the few times I did it, it was a rush. It was fun, but um, it's, you know, I don't want to have the Abdullah marks on me. I, you know, I guess I'm a little yeah. too vain I mean, for that. The, there are too many guys out there who who think that you know it's it's a badge of courage. Uh, you know, they do this stuff. I was working a, a, a ref in a match one time, and the two guys said to me, "Oh, what we're going to do is we're going to climb up on on the top rope, and you're going to climb up after us to try to." to break us up and all three of us are going to go out of the ring and go through a table. So don't worry. We'll be under, we'll be, under, we'll be underneath you and, and you won't, you'll have us to cushion. I said, wait a minute. I said, I seen you guys wrestle for years now. You always get hurt in every match you're in and you're always drunk in every match you're in. I'm not doing that. You know, and yeah. I had to do that on several occasions. Mm-hmm. I said, first of all, it's a local show. You don't need the rep juicing. You don't need to have some big angle with the rep. I'm just there to direct traffic. I don't need to be involved in the show. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, you know, around the time of like ECW and stuff, once ECW reached the West Coast, uh, 
it, it was kind of embarrassing because there was a handful of guys who weren't bad. They weren't bad wrestlers or anything. They were good workers. But they see all this ECW and they hear about all the tales of all the debauchery in the locker rooms. And so suddenly they, they start drinking like a fish and popping pills and smoking dope so they can be just like those ECW wrestlers. It was really sad. <laughs> hey, Dan, you brought up Mondo Guerrero, yeah. and earlier you brought up his music. I have found... Holy shit, you said Guerrero, right? I have found... Shut up, Bix. I have found <laughs> Mondo Guerrero's music, and here it is. Okay. Oh. Obviously, awful audio. Here comes everybody now. Everybody wow. now. <laughs> it really just is them yelling Mondo over and over. Yeah. Yeah. I got to say, though, this is much better than I was expecting. It is so much yeah. better I wish than I Mondo see... Guerrero should have ever had, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> what was funny Okay, I got to ask, though. Yeah, if it wasn't me, Roy Lucier, please... who uploaded Muscle Rock Madness to YouTube? Uh, whoever Allop 1984 is. Okay. Mm-hmm. If Roy has because it, okay. for me, could you... When Mondo used to do it, yeah, and this is the full album version. This is the first time I actually heard the real lyrics before. He used to just to bring the part where they just screamed his name for like 30 seconds. So <laughs> it's weird to hear the actual – I bet you somewhere in there I, – I couldn't hear it all the way, but I bet you in somewhere it's – they do the uh, – they say that he's the biggest man to never reach six feet or something like that. They always wind up <laughs> trying to find that in there. <laughs> Wow. It's a love song to Mondo. <laughs> wow. And I wish yeah. I wish I, you, I wish I could see the visuals right now of Mondo trying to sell the song while they're playing it, you know. And not just any Mondo, late eighties Mondo. Late eighties yeah. Mondo. Scott, yeah. what do you think late eighties Mondo? Scott, you know your your music think, and you also know yep. your wrestling records. What do you think of Mondo here? That's the first time I've ever heard that. That's amazing. I don't mean to, to downplay it, but just for me, do you happen to have uh, Taco Grande by Weird Al Yankovic uh, queued up? <laughs> Does it sound similar? That was Mondo's other theme, as I recall. <laughs> wait, wait, hold on. I don't remember that. You don't know about the – okay, Blackjack Brawl. Oh, that's uh, right. Instead of Rico Jack Suave, Armstrong versus Mondo Guerrero. Instead of Rico Suave, it's Taco Grande. <laughs> Weird Al Yankovic. Awesome. Even Rico Suave and Mondo clearly pissed off oh, when he's walking of, out to it too. Speaking of Rico Suave, I met Geraldo this week. The Geraldo. guy that did that. What? Show. Am I worried? Gerardo yes. or Geraldo Rivera? 
No, not the, the guy, Ger- yeah. Gerardo, who the hell he was. The guy that had the really long hair who did that Gerardo. in 1990. Rico Gerardo. And, yeah, he come, he came into my building. And, and as I mentioned before, I do some concierge-type stuff. So I was walking him, taking him and his manager upstairs. He has a shaved head, by the way, now. He has no hair at all. But we're going up, <laughs> and uh, I, I mentioned something about Rico Suave. And he goes, oh, he says, you're usually not in my demographic. I'm surprised that you know that song. I said, well, I have to tell you, I worked on a lot of independent wrestling shows in the 1990s and virtually hundreds of wrestlers came to the ring to Rico Suave. And he looked at his manager and he goes, did we get paid for that? And the manager looked at him and said, what do you think? And started laughing. I said, yeah, you're absolutely right. (laughs) Yep. That's wrestling. Dan, I, yeah. I, I, my memory's a bit erased. Do you remember what the story is with Muscle Rock? Was it that guy Eric Shaw who was running it? Do you remember mm-hmm. what his story Eric was? Shaw. Uh, I don't know. He decided he wanted to get in on the on the WWF thing, and he thought that he could uh, put together these shows that had uh, rock and roll music and whatever. And they, and they had uh, you remember the in the programs. Uh, I still have the programs. I think they had. Um, they had each every, every wrestler had their own theme, and they had uh, the lyrics inside the program. No match listings or anything. Just it was just the lyrics uh, inside the program uh, of all uh. the guys' songs. And it was Jack Armstrong and Jay Strombo Jr. And um, there was there was a couple uh, girls. I think my, I think Mary Duchess of Discipline was working at that point. Oh, remember her and, and Reggie was, Bennett. Uh huh. And Reggie Bennett was working there, and uh, they had a. They they had a, a bunch of those, and they would go around to like Point Wainimi, uh, Port Wainimi, and do stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, and and bring cheerleader girls or or somebody's girlfriend as a manager or something that way. Uh, it, it lasted off and on all the time. Johnny Legend was the the lead manager there, and um, they did some some fun shows. And the and the guys at the bases, the men and women at the bases, seemed to enjoy the shows. Um, but they, they were never anything really, really great. I did a couple with Eddie Guerrero. Those were good. I did a couple with Conan. Those were really good. Um, but, um, and I think Ray was going to do one, but he was still underage at that point. So he couldn't oh, do anything. Right. Cause oh, remember, didn't Conan go remember we had, we had a different gimmick? Conan was, no, he was, he was straight on Conan. Uh, well, he might've been. Oh. They might have I thought done. he. I thought he did a different, a funky gimmick or something like that for the Muscle Rock. He might have on some of the shows, but he also might have got to the point where he just said, "No, I, I'm going to be Conan. That's what I want to be." You know, right. and do I'm that because I mean, Ray Shark or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Ray, Ray Mysterio. Oh, there was a guy called the Shark. Oh, the guy, um, Tim uh, Magic Schwartz, who starred in um, Grunt. The, the uh, toy. Uh, Grunt. The yeah, toy. he played a guy. Yeah, he played uh, a guy called the shark. He wore a shark mask, and he would chew on people until they bled. Huh. Wait, yeah, wait, yeah, wait, wait, and then he got electric. He gets electrocuted too. Well, hold on, because now Scott yeah. just Scott said the toy, and I referenced the toy earlier when we were reading the list of oh, no. wrestlers. There's, and the name Scotty Schwartz. There's two guys. Okay, so this isn't the same. Scotty Schwartz. Scotty Schwartz is the the kid who was in the toy. Who then? Who was is a very big wrestling fan. Uh, when I've worked on done shows, I would have some old stuff. I would oh, not the same guy. Memorabilia. But Joshua no, Bengurian Scott Schwartz is a different person. Clearly, that is a different person. But this is a different guy altogether. This is I, th- actually, okay. I think it's Gre- uh, not. I think it's Scott. I think it's Greg Magic Schwartz. He became a stuntman. Oh, after I'm that. Sorry. He's the lead. He's uh, the lead in Grunt. He's the uh, the, the main guy there. And uh, he played the shark on those shows. But no, uh, Scott, uh, Scotty Schwartz, little kid, um, eventually became a porn star for a while. 
and uh, and and then of course got into wrestling because everybody does. That's how it seems. Like. <laughs> That's but, what uh, porn stars do. Yeah. And then there was yeah. another mm-hmm. Scott Schwartz who used to wrestle as David the Jewish Giant mm-hmm. and uh, was uh, the only person who was almost as bad as Harry Hell in the ring. <laughs> He's a nice guy. We've met him several times. Uh, Nobody's but... bad as Harry Hell. Nobody's bad as Harry Hell. That, no, I, I give you that. He comes in second, and Magic Schwartz is somewhere in between David the Jewish Giant and Harry Hell as the worst mm. wrestler. Ask Tom Hankins about that. He'll tell you. Yeah. Harry Hell was his yeah. partner. I wish I was there. He he thought I was there. I wasn't. Um, yeah, Magic Schwartz just tried to he, – he tried to, like, pop – he put a headlock on Tom Hankins, and it was a shoot headlock because he didn't know how to work. And uh, I can't remember what happened. I think Hankins – just just lifted it up and suplexed him on his head, but whatever happened, he ended up uh, butt-breaking his uh, ankle. Schwartz, not Tom. Yeah. And I was there back uh, <laughs> at Tom Hankins, I swear. We went to Cauliflower Alley one year. Actually, I didn't go with him that year, but he and his wife Sue were there, and they purposely went and sat at Magic Schwartz's table just so, and then Magic Schwartz was not happy. <laughs> they did it just to fuck with him. Hey, has anyone heard from Pistol Pete since Budokan passed away? Uh, just uh, just through Facebook and stuff like that. Just uh, I'll just I you know instant messages from every now and then. Uh, it really hit him hard losing Buddha. They were really yeah. tight friends since the early eighties, wow. and uh, you know Buddha might have made up a lot of you know overblown stories about his career, but uh, he was such a nice guy. I, I think it, I think we all felt really bad about that. Hey, so I was editing the uh, Danny Wolf interview for the next episode of the Super Podcast, and he brought up something I never thought about. He brought up something you mentioned, Dan, about the ability to wake up and just watch nonstop wrestling in Los Angeles all day. Mm-hmm. And then he said, well, we also had Roller Derby, which was great. And we also had Wally George. And I'm curious, was there a big <laughs> crossover between <laughs> wrestling fans and Wally George fans? Yes. Yeah. I refereed a oh, match yeah. where Wally George chastised me for uh, not seeing the heels with their foreign objects. And he, he, I, yeah. it, it was like a sold-out show in Manhattan Beach. Um, and it, it actually, you know, Billy Anderson booked the whole show. And uh, I was actually impressed that he knew how to pair this wrestler to carry somebody who's too green to be in the ring. And there was a couple of incidents where it just didn't work, but Bill still had the right idea. But Wally George, what an idiot. They had a guy called Marco the Persian Terror who um, who needed at least six months more training before he started. But he was a baby face. And as he goes to the ring, Wally George was a guest announcer and says, oh, here's the most disgusting thing. He's an Iranian. Here is the perverted terror, for ladies and gentlemen. And I'm saying, well, that was really brilliant. How much did you pay him to totally fuck up uh, the baby face's uh, pop? <laughs> Yeah, they used to get uh, the muscle rock guys used to get Wally involved on the show. They would they would bring him on to do something or do a ring announcing thing or something, so that way they could get free advertisement on his show because he had a show at a, like eleven o'clock on on um, Saturday nights, and then he had a daily phone in show at like a one thirty Monday through Friday. Um, and so he would, they would always wind up trying to do some sort of angle, anybody and, you know, involved in wrestling, you look at that and, and you go, Oh my God, this is a perfect uh, you know, way to advertise our show. We're going to get on there. We're going to, you know, so, you know, the girls would get on there who were, um, 
mud wrestlers and they would they would challenge uh you know a wally to uh, to a debate about uh, how mud wrestling is good so that way they could go on and publicize where they were you know that kind of stuff charlie the golden so, I mean, cat uh, yeah charlie the golden cat uh was probably the worst the, uh, woman wrestler i've ever seen <laughs> charlie but the golden they, they cat yeah, she Charlie was pretty, Hayes. but she was the most god. Whether it was on the mic or on uh, or in the ring, she was so god awful that you might be able to find some stuff of hers on California oh, you will. Championship oh, you Wrestling. Will. I think yeah, I might have seen Charlie, something. Oh, yeah. Her name is her, her name is Charlie Haynes, and she was the Golden Cat, and she did um, that, and she also did. Uh, some um, like mud wrestling and, and, and stuff like that they used to do, but she uh, did a, a bunch of shows and they tried to push her on CCW at one point as a face. And they had her uh, wrestling um, who was this girl who was supposed to be Ripper Savage's sister, Ava Savage. Oh and, yeah. Um, I remember Charlie used to tell me that they, she would go over to the office where Ava Savage worked as a paralegal and they would go into the law library and they would rehearse their match in the law library. Oh my God, no way. <laughs> I never heard that. Dan, you yeah. must tell them about your chance meeting with Charlie uh, after she was out of wrestling. Oh, you mean when she was coming to doing first. this? Yeah, I mean, you mean when she was coming to the story salon? Is that the. What's yes, your... yes, when she's coming to do the spoken word. Oh, well, she used to come to do spoken word. She came for a couple of times and did spoken word at the, at the, the, the play site that I help produce the show I do. And um, she, uh, she, she could not connect with the audience to save her life. I mean, she really would try to, but she told this story one night that was supposed to be that the way that it was building up, the way it was going, it was going to be where she was being told that she was going to have to, to wrestle this girl topless or whatever. And she built this whole story up about how she was, you know, uh, you know, was this something she should do or she should not do? And then it's out of nowhere. She goes, nah, it's not all oh, the hell with that. I just took my top off and wrestled. And it, it like, it just shocked the audience. <laughs> not because it was shocked, it's just because it looked like there was building up this big Norma Ray moment where she was going to stand up and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, but said, ah, what the hell? So she went ahead and did that. She was also on glow for a couple episodes in the very beginning. They had her, they had her and an African American wrestler, and they were, they were called Salt and Pepper. And they would go to the ring, and and what a wonderful idea this was! They would basically be arguing the entire time to show that that white and black people can't get along together. <laughs> so uh, they were, yeah. So they were a tag team that argued the entire time. Oh, oh Lord! Wow. <laughs> and they were heels. Just going around, just going around the room. I think Can you I name. Think... Oh, no, no, please finish. No, please finish. I want to hear what Dan. Oh, Dan, I, did, 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 I think it was Salt and Pepper. They were called. Oh, okay. It didn't last very long. It was in the very beginning of the first season, and it, it she wasn't in any of the openings or anything. I think this is when they were trying out girls. Still, you know. All right, Scott. What were you going to say? Just going around the going around the uh, to everybody that's on the line here. If you could have your wish of any wrestler to that you could see do spoken word, who would it be? <laughs> Interesting. Hmm. Oh, that's a great Like I'm not going to pick anyone like Ron Fuller, who pretty much his podcast is him doing spoken word, but like someone like that. But okay. So someone who doesn't have a podcast, I'm going to look for too. Um, yeah. Hmm. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one that will never happen. And it, but I still would find it fascinating. I want to see Vince McMahon do spoken word. 
He won't remember anything. <laughs> I know, but give it a try, you know. Well, that's the trouble. A lot of the guys who would be the most interesting to do that aren't going to remember stuff at this point. You know, a lot of the, of the old timers that, you know, you got to realize, guys, a lot of us have been watching wrestling since back in the 1980s. That's over 30 years now. A lot of those guys are, are, have, are gone. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, trying to make a statement there? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just remembered something, by the way. Um, Vandal still owes me his drug-induced review of Snow White meets the Harlem Globetrotters or whatever. It was. Oh my God! Yes, I'll have. Okay, I'm gonna have to find a copy somewhere. Um, our <laughs> we just bought a new computer and it it went kaput in one week. So I my it hard drive is Pro was it? No, okay. no, it wasn't. Um. <sighs> God, I wish I actually keep a copy handy. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty priceless. I actually read it to the spoken word group at the Star Story Salon, and I think it's the biggest laugh I ever got. <laughs> yeah, Bix was awesome. Bix sent me a stack of DVDs when uh, I was uh, sick with Hodgkin's lymphoma, and uh, the stuff he sent me. Uh, Bob Barnett sent me some stuff. Actually, a lot of people who read The Observer were you know, writing me and wishing me well. And one of the things Bix sent me, along with a lot of really cool Memphis wrestling, was the cartoon Snow White uh, and the Harlem Globetrotters. It was bitchin'. And so uh, one of the worst things about uh, being uh, on chemotherapy is I'm already an insomniac, really critical insomniac, and it was worse during the chemo. I had trouble sleeping for more than two hours at a time, and so finally they gave me Ambien, um, which would help, but it didn't work all the time. And the thing that's really tricky about Ambien, at least with me, uh, you're, not, you're still not sleepy. So, oh, I'll get up and do something on the computer. You feel like you're clear-minded. You feel a little light on your feet. It's, it's actually quite pleasant. I, I'm not going to lie. But you think you're clear of mind. And... So I decided to do a review of uh, Snow White and the Harlem Globetrotters, and I, I had a blog at the time. And so I write it, and I really think I've gotten it done. And I say, okay, you know what? I'm I'm not going to um, publish it right now. I'm going to save it as a draft on my blog, and then you know, like edit it tomorrow. And uh, I actually did fall asleep, and it felt wonderful. And I got up and I wandered, um, you know, to my computer, and I found out. Not only did I not save it as a draft, I published it. So it was on there, and it, I, it was utter nonsense. And I, my, you know, I just sat there staring at it a while, like, whoa, I thought I was in control of myself. And I was about to erase it, but I stopped and I said, no, wait, I'm cutting and pasting this onto Word. As a reminder, don't type on Ambien even if you think you've got it going. <laughs> Too bad Roseanne didn't take your advice. <laughs> Let's put it this way. I never bought uh, her version of it because, uh, Dan, you remember when I did that piece at Story Salon about yeah, I my Ambien? Uh, a woman came up to me and said, I want you to know you're not alone. She says, I scared the crap out of my poor brother because I was texting to him. And she showed me the text on her phone. And it was almost identical to what I was doing, where you would have half a sentence that made sense, and then 
the letter J is typed 15 times and exclamation points and just, just, uh, you know, so I don't think, I don't picture anybody being able to, if she, if she printed something offensive like that, I don't think it would have come up out that um, smoothly. Smoothly is probably the wrong word, but I think it would have yeah. come out looking more like something that was nonsensical rather than offensive. Well, let's go from people taking medication to sleep to someone who seemingly doesn't sleep. Did anyone see or did any of you guys read the cover story in The Observer this week that Dave wrote? I'm I'm like halfway yeah. through it and mm-hmm. I'm blown away. I'm 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 yeah, I am too. I'm curious to see where it's going. I don't know yet, <laughs> but I'm enjoying yeah. it immensely. I think it's just him being reflective. I don't really think it's going anywhere. It's just him reflecting on where he yeah. is and where he's been. I was almost worried the way he's writing. I think, oh dear, is he going to retire? Is this like a retirement announcement? But I don't picture him ever retiring, really. No, he had, he had written, he had said earlier in the week that when he was flying, um, he didn't have any access to the internet, so he couldn't check on anything. There was nothing going on, so he was just trying to kill some time. So he just started writing down, you know, as I think we all do, kind of like journaling from time to time. And he came up with this, and he was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to I'm going to do it. Um, the Brian Alvarez said, no, you got to do it now that you mentioned it. You got to publish it, you know? And I think it's like anything else. I think when, when we all reach certain points in our lives or whatever, we all start to, you know, to, to reflect on, on where we've been and where we're headed and whatever. And I think that's, uh, it's not so much the Dave Meltzer story as it is where Dave is at this point in his life. And I haven't really gotten not to read it yet, but go ahead. Oh, and I, I think not only is his story fascinating, but I think the story of his family is fascinating. I mean, his, yeah. his dad and mom sound like really interesting well, about, people. Forget about that. The cat that followed him around for 10 years. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know me, that makes me, that makes me bond with him even more, man. You got cats in the it middle. You're my friend. It so wasn't the golden another, cat, it, was it? No, it was wasn't that? her. No, but but she might, she might do that. But it wasn't her. No, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I I think what'll happen now is that you're going to have 400 people writing in wanting to have Dave Meltzer's cat in the top 10. Now that's the next thing that's going to we're going to wind up doing. <laughs> Who plays hey guys, Dave Meltzer's cat? Actually, guys, speaking of medication, I actually have had sinus problems all weekend long, and I've been on, on, on medication, which may be why I've been the most relaxed I've ever been on this show and this episode. Uh, but so you're finally smoking of, uh, that sweet sour widow that I sent you, right? I told you we talk about that off the air, all right? Damn. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm, 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 I need to take a nap is what I need to do at this point. So if you don't <laughs> mind, I'm going to bail on you guys. Um, <laughs> is uh, if. If, as long as you guys don't mind, I I, I, I feel all. like I've I've I basically uh, you know have just chattered nonstop for two hours, which I probably have, but uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun as it always is. And uh, Brian, do you mind if I plug something of mine? Not at all, Dan. Feel free. Oh, okay. Um, I have a, a short story, a short horror story in a book that's out now called. Um, I would help if I remember the title of the book quicker. Um, this is a great oh plug. Oh, my God. I forgot the title of the book. This is a wonderful plug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Modern Madness 2. That's what it is. See, the steroids are starting to hit me now. Uh, Modern <laughs> Madness 2. And, uh, and say the name I have of the book one more time. Say, say the name one more time so we get it clearly. Modern Madness 2. It's a, a book of uh, short horror stories. Um, by people who have never written a horror story before, and I have a little uh, three-page story, kind of like a, 
uh, a twilight zone, something a kid would tell sitting around um, a campfire um, talking about um, what happens when the imaginary monsters in, in a child's life uh, run across uh, the real monsters that are out there now. Oh, so, so, so it's about it's, your encounter with Herb Abrams. Yes, exactly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so it's Modern Madness 2. It's available on Kindle. It's available on uh, in paperback. And um, even though I'm horrified that the guy that edited it made a, a, a gigantic um, spelling error in it, and every time I open up and look at the story, the first thing that pops out to me is that word. It's like a fly on a birthday cake. You know, it's just like it, it annoys me to no end. <laughs> but it is out there. It's a bunch of – and it's, it's my story and it's a bunch of other stories about monsters and murder and uh, even um, – uh, Kazarni, um, the the guy from the WWE, um, Sin Bodhi has a a, a short uh, story and a, a little bit of a graphic novel in there. So if anybody's interested on it, mm. in it, you can find it on Kindle and on Amazon. Well, everyone, go I was going to read it. And, oh, what were we going to say, Scott? I said I was going to read it until I heard about that spelling error. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know what? Here's the deal: if you if you buy the book, Scott, and send it to me, I'll cross it out, correct it, and initial it, and that'll make it fine. Sweet. Well, <laughs> now now you're talking. Well, everyone, oh. check that out. Support Dan Farron, a friend of the show, a great friend of the show. Someone yeah. will be back on the show very very soon. But Dan, feel better. Thank you for being a part of Yom Kippur Star Wars today. My pleasure. This Irish boy is always pl- uh, pleased to be on a Yom Kippur show. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye. Right, feel better, Dan. Take Bye, care. Dan. Feel better. Take care. You know, Bix accused Dan of being Jewish at the top of the show. Accused? <laughs> accused? Is that how that works? <laughs> well, Bix thought Dan was Jewish. It sounds like the McCarthy hearings or something. <laughs> Bix thought Dan was Jewish, which I instantly thought was – I didn't think was true. And then, of course, Bix also said that he – I didn't say I thought he was Jewish. I, I, it was more that it hadn't occurred to me that he wasn't. I can't but get over the Sandman being Jewish. I can't be right. I don't believe that. He right. is. That is so wild. Oh man. Sandman is Jewish. I remember one of the one of the uh, one of the vagrants at Dr. Jerry Graham's hotel. Uh, I can't remember his name. They just called him the Mad Greek. This guy who was just wired all the time. And he he's talking with us, and three times in the conversation he says, "So you understand this kid? Because you're you're Jewish, right? You're Jewish." And Jerry would say. He's German, for Christ's sake. You can tell. And I said, I'm not Jewish and I'm not German either. <laughs> it's like, Christ. <laughs> but you have to ask me over here. You're Jewish. You're Jewish. So maybe I am and I just don't know it. Big oh, what was I going to say? Oh, um, with the Meltzer <laughs> thing, I haven't gotten to read it yet. I've seen that little teaser from the beginning, though. I thought it was interesting seeing him say how much he hates that issue from February 91 about the back and forth between – him, Frank DeFord, the National, and WWF over the Iraq coverage. I feel oh, like I've heard like him, I feel like I've heard him say that before that he was very critical of that issue. But although you know, and we, I think, gee, it may have been way early on six oh five, or it may have been on a Star Wars picks. But I remember you and I talking about that issue at some point, and it's a pretty legendary issue. Um, you know, because it's him just breaking down everything going on with the WWF and him and the National is fascinating. Uh, but he's always had an issue with it, apparently, or, or didn't like it. And I think this issue that he just put out was tremendous. And I, I like, you know, that he doesn't overdo it. But one of the things I came out of it thinking, and I, and it'll never happen because it's him, but how do you read that and not say Dave Meltzer should be in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> like, it's pretty ridiculous, especially Absolutely. if you look at like him saying, like, oh, I just came back from England. What an amazing event this was. And 
talking about like what he's been through the last few years. If anyone in terms of wrestling journalists should be in the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, it's him. But he'll never put himself in or put himself on the ballot. No, I don't think so. But I'm going to write him in. So we got to break into his house and get into his computer and, and do it for him. Yeah, but I don't know how to break into one of those old computers. Well, also in fairness, though, when you, you mentioned writing him in, aren't there people who have spoken of like writing people in on the Hall of Fame ballot and Dave put them all like put them in the vote totals without realizing that they weren't on the ballot? Is that true? I feel like I've heard that. Hey, you know, last year, obviously, I got Wild Bull Curry on the ballot. I really, you know, hopefully we'll get some votes from again this year. I got to tell you, you know, and I recorded earlier today one of the best stud casts ever. And it's part one of at least two, maybe three, where Ron's going to look at the Georgia war. And Ron did a lot of research. Ron started calling people up. He called up Roy Lee Welch, his cousin. He talked to his brother, wow. talked to Bob Armstrong. He started reading stuff. He asked me to send him more stuff. We went and tried to get more information because he thinks that there's a part of the story no one knows. And there are things that he knows that no one else knows. So it's really interesting stuff. But it got me thinking, there isn't a single member of the Welch family in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. And I would think if there's one of them deserving more than the others, it would probably be Roy Welch. And it is interesting if you think about, in many ways, the first family of Southern wrestling, not a single member is in the Observer Hall of Fame. What do you think, Bix? Roy isn't in? I don't think he is. he? A am I completely wrong? Is, it, is he not in? I kind of thought he was. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Let me put Roy Welch Wrestling Observer... <laughs> Hall of Fame. Let's see. Kurt, do you remember? You're a voter. I honestly don't remember. I, I think both he and Bull Curry, and this is my opinion, is I think uh, similar to Martin Cardigan, uh, they're two who should be in even if it's not voted in because there's that category for overlooked uh, historical figures, you know? Um yeah, I, I know that's a card he doesn't want to play a lot, but I think it would be very apropos. Um, same with like Colonel James McLaughlin. Nobody's going to vote him in, but there was there was a guy who was a mover and a shaker back in the day, and it's there's some people they should be in. At the same time, uh, I nagged him just to recognize Sangrechi Chakana, just to put him on the ballot. I knew he wasn't going to get in, but I just thought I I I, I was so amazed that people didn't recognize how over he was in the early 80s and headlining two straight anniversary shows in Mexico. But uh, th then I, every now and then I'll talk to somebody who is always telling Dave, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame, this guy should be in the Hall of Fame. So I think he's getting like just, just pelted with requests. And I can see how that might kind of drive him crazy. But uh, I, I, totally think bull curry is somebody who really needs to be in there oh yeah and by the way no roy welch he's not in the hall of fame bix ah. and mar siegel another name if paul bosch is in mar siegel has to be in he promoted houston as successfully Morris siegel was the king of yeah. houston morris siegel ruled houston so i don't know roy welch maybe one we have to try to get on the uh, ballot just because it's ridiculous if he owned the majority of southern wrestling for how many years bix a lot. Okay, Bix is <laughs> Bix is in La La Land. Uh, but I don't, are we I think, all on medication tonight? I think it's ridiculous that he's not in. Bix, do you agree, or what do you think? Oh, he absolutely should be in. That's well, how did Gula? I mean, I know it was the first year, but why is Gulas in and Roy is not? Is Gulas? I didn't even realize that. 
Ghoulis is in, I think it no, is. No, Ghoulis is not in. I'm looking He's at not? the list okay. right now. The 1996 inductees for G, the letter G, are Vern Gagne, Cavanario Galindo. Hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Cavanario Galindo. And you have to sing it. El Santo y Cavanario, Blue Demon, Yell Bulldog. Ed Don George, Gorgeous George, Carl Gotch, Frank Gotch, Superstar Graham, Eddie Graham, Rene Guajardo, Gory Guerrero, George Hackenshaw. Oh, now we're in H. So, uh, yeah, no Nick Lewis. And while I was jazzed that Rene Guajardo was in, his tag team partner, Carla Flagarde, is so not I in. Am. And he should be. He's a guy who held the welterweight strap for seven straight years without a hiccup. Um, which I, unless he was uh, the promoter's best friend, it must mean he was very valuable to the attendance in, back in the day. Actually, let me add someone else to the call before it gets too late, because I see he's uh, available right now. Hold on. Is it the Massive Swole? It is not the Massive Swole. He's in the woods. Hold <laughs> on. Let me add. Is it Swami? Are you going to put on your Swami? Is it the Massive Swole's trainer, Brad Ringens? It's it's not the best. <laughs> Let's see if this person is it. Ken up. Resnick. No, I'd like or to call him. The call him Brad Reinigans. <laughs> Reinigan. You know Ken Resnick's back doing wrestling announcing. What's he doing? Ring Warriors. He was uh, yeah, he was on Ring Warriors, which apparently was god awful. Jerry. Doctor Jerry Gray. Can can, can you hear <laughs> yeah. us, Golden Boy? Nobody knows. I can hear you. Nobody knows. I ask you and Kurt answers. Oh, gotta. <laughs> the Golden Boy Jerry Gray Jerry right Graham here on <laughs> Star Wars right now. And uh, before we get going, I want to make mention, because I know you're having a tough time, tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. If you enjoy Jerry on the Super Podcast, consider helping him out, especially right now. He really could use the help. But Jerry, welcome to the show. Welcome to Star Wars. Thank you very much. What, is, what holiday is it? Yom Kippur. <laughs> I was thinking it must be something like that. Yeah. Jerry, who's the greatest Jewish wrestler <laughs> of all time? Uh, let's see. I wrestled him in Lynchburg, Virginia, the only one I really knew. Of. Well, Mark Lewin was, you know, really, but Abe Jacobs was like from the old days. And let's see who else. You wrestled Abe Jacobs? Definitely not Barry Horowitz. Yeah, I wrestled him. He was good, too. I mean, he was older, but he knew how to, you know. I think Dory Funk was the booker, and he told me that. Um, you're going to learn how to tell a story tonight. And then, you know, he did the old style where he just worked my arm. I was a heel. He worked my arm the whole until I got the heat. It was like a real old school match, but I learned definitely. Yeah, I wrestled him. Hey, Jake Markaluen, though, I'd say probably. More than Malenka. What about Boris Malenka? Oh, I forgot about that because, you know, the Russian gimmick. But yeah, oh, yeah, Malenko, definitely. Yeah. Between him and Mark Lewin. I forgot about that. How about the best pseudo Jewish wrestler, which was probably Dave Levin? What does that mean? <laughs> what is this? Uh, I think, didn't they build him as a Jewish baby face, even though he wasn't Jewish? Well, Paul Bosch, I think, would be the best pseudo Jewish wrestler if that's your clarification of it. Because oh, they, yeah. they pretended he was the Jew, he, they pretended yeah. he was Jewish when he was the Jewish heavyweight champion. Yes. Nobody realized that it would be a bad idea to send a writer from the Jewish Daily Forward to interview him in the locker room where he would be naked. Yes, that's right. That's right. He had to cover up his junk if reporters were around. That's what I had heard. Hey, Jerry, someone just uh, posted a link today, or at least a 
a screen cap. I guess it's on the WWE yeah. Network of you against Doctor Death on uh, was it UWF TV or NWA TV? I guess NWA TV. Oh really? Yeah. Did you see I that? Think which one that would be? Yeah, it said UWF no, champion Steve Doctor Death Williams versus Jerry Gray, and it was the uh, it looked like the TBS. It wasn't in the studio; it looked like an arena show, but it was the TBS logos and everything. Oh. I think that was the one from Miami where my leg was hurt. And then I remember before the match, he, he said, I told him my knees hurt because I was thinking, oh, my God, yeah, he's going to be, you know, it's crazy Japanese style. And he said, I'll treat you like a baby brother. And then he did, too. I remember <laughs> he didn't do anything hardly in the match because my knee was bad from Japan hurting. So anyway, yeah, I remember that match. Yeah. How good was Doc in the ring at that, that point, after. which is still pretty early on in his career? Uh, I remember when he was real green, like an mid-south back when he first started when he was huge like probably 300 over 300 pounds remember when he had short hair just out of college he was really green then he was hard to work with then but then after the going to japan and all that um he did a different style though you know in the united states than he did in japan in japan he was a lot better but here he's he i mean he was like great technical but he was good for a big guy you know to be honest you know but in japan he was he did a lot more well of course a lot like the stiff too so so, of course, it looked better. <laughs> the style over there, he did. Best big guy you were ever in the ring with? But depending on who we were. What's that? Who's the best big guy you were ever in the Say ring with? Say that again. Oh, the best big guy. God, probably, I don't know how, well, he's big, too, but Terry Gordy. I'd say either him or... Ed the Bull Gantner? So many. <laughs> No, I was never in the <laughs> ring with him, but I'd still say no. I liked him, but no, I wouldn't say. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I think a real big because there's so many big guys back in those days. I'm trying to think of somebody that was really huge, but Terry Gordy. I mean, you can't get any better than that. Definitely. Did you you worked against Mulligan? I was never in the ring against Brody. Yeah, yeah, but he was more you know promos and stuff like that. But he was a little bit older too. He was he was probably a lot better when he was younger. But when I worked him, he was older. He didn't do very, you know, whole, I remember he'd say, watch, the first time I worked him, I was really young, and I was thinking, man, he looked like he'd kill you with the big hands and everything. And then he said, watch the potato. And then, I mean, it was so <laughs> phony when he punched me. He didn't even touch me. I was thinking a big, you know, he's going to come down and kill me half like The stiffest guy ever was John Studd, though. I have to say that. Really? He really? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know if they told him to or what, because I remember Louis Tillet had sent four of us up to uh, Mid-Atlantic like 1981 to do TV and uh, what you one guy didn't even make it back. Pogo broke his arm so he had to stay in the hospital. <laughs> but anyway, oh my it was God. Like, uh, back when they still <laughs> tried to hurt people, you know, the new guys, they try to hurt you. So they must have told him to, Louis probably told him, you know, welcome up with Louis, a new guy, you know, young kid, 18. So John Studd hit me with that, like that Johnny Valentine forearm, you know, you ever seen him do that? Yeah. Uh, he did a little different in WWF, <laughs> not quite as hard, you know, but, um, I mean, I think I have it on DVD. Somebody sent it to me, too, but i got to find it. But, I mean, it was just, you can just hear it. It sounds like a sledgehammer was hitting me. And he did it like three or four times. <laughs> that's that's the hard and the worst. Well, I don't like that because he was a nice guy. No, but I don't like to say nothing. But the worst part, worse than that even, though, was uh, <laughs> when he put his big hands around my face like a chin lock. He mm-hmm. didn't, the toilet there must have slipped, slipped or something when he used the bathroom before the match because... It smelled like pure shit. His hands. Uh, to get away. And, uh, oh. 
his big hands around my face. I was like, oh my god. Oh lord. <laughs> yeah, he kept, he kept grabbing me with his hands around the face. I was like, man, Jesus, what happened? You had a long shower <laughs> that, that night, I take it. <laughs> I'll never, yeah, I'll never forget that. That was scary. But yeah, he was a step of the big guy, definitely. Yeah. Who else is on there? I know Kurt. You Kurt yeah. is on the floor. How you well, doing, man? As as well as David Bixon hey, and the humorous Scott Cornish. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. okay. Hi. All the gang. What was you? <laughs> hey, hey, buddy. What was, what was you? What was you going to ask me, Brian? You got right. Or you I don't even something. remember what I was going to ask you. It was about five seconds ago, and I completely <laughs> forgot. Okay. How you doing, I man? I, I've been seeing some yeah. updates, and it seems like uh, things have gotten a little uh, bit worse. What's going on? Let the listeners know. Let, let me know. What's what's up? Uh, I don't know, man. My teeth are falling out and everything. No, I don't know what that's from. Yeah. Could that be like a side the, effect of medication? Is it something they warned you about, that your teeth would fall out? Uh, they no, told me, they you know, I was only on chemo for six months, and they did tell me that it might yeah. affect my gums and my teeth. And, uh, you know, I'm yeah. very thankful to be alive, but I've had to spend a lot of money on my teeth since then. They're not terrible, but yeah, yeah, they, no. it definitely had an effect on it. After chemo, you're saying yeah, well, they you spent a lot of money on your teeth. <laughs> Kurt, right? That's what you're saying? Yeah, really? Yes, after well. chemo. Because it's not like they just went bad in a few days, but it's it's they're definitely one, see one of yeah. the things that they told me I could not do when I was on chemo was floss, um, just because hmm. you could bleed and well, they yeah. kicked them in the butt, man. Oh, that's yeah. They, they the, told me no flossing. <laughs> they don't tell you anything, but they they told me I wouldn't lose my hair either. I was like it was all gone, like an. A couple, like one week. I was like, oh yeah, thanks. Yeah, the first two treatments. The the first two, they they told me you're definitely losing your hair, and I was, uh, I guess I'm vain enough that I I, I was so shallow, I was like, I'm going to lose my hair, because it was down to almost to my elbows at the time. (laughs) (laughs) And and actually, it was kind of a, a, what's that? But it was kind of amusing, because uh, nothing happened after. um, the first two sessions, but the third session, uh, I started brushing my hair and I just see it all falling to the floor. And I remember even going to a Lucha mm-hmm. show and, uh, Peloto Suicida was like, Oh my God, you're sick. Is it, they said, are you losing your hair? So I put on a show for him and just started tugging clumps of it out and throwing it all over the place. And <laughs> <laughs> Elena finally yeah, shaved my head. Yeah, you should have did one of the loser loser hair matches. <laughs> I would have loved to do. I I wish I had the foresight to have done that. I, yeah, <laughs> yeah really. I would have gotten in the ring uh, before I started my chemo just to shave the head in the ring again. <laughs> yeah, really. Jeez. Is there a gimmick yeah, that you wish just, you would have uh, done? I know my... Other than a hair match. Who are you that? talking to? Anybody? Or... I, I was talking to Jerry. Who are you asking? Uh, we'll, we'll skip that. But Jerry, go back to. Oh. Uh, Go back to what's going on with you medically. What's well, going I was going to tell you. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll tell you about the hair after this. But, um, well, I mean, it's just like, it makes you just want to give up. The last time I went to the oncologist, he told me that uh, he looked like he's seen a ghost because I hadn't been there for a long time. And then he, he goes, uh, well, we gave you maximum five years, six years ago. So you've already, you know, gone a wow. year. You should be, you know, happy. <laughs> Pretty much it's what he said. And I was just like, Jesus. Wow. So, you know, you need to get like, out of Florida. I need to buy a different 
Oh my God! He's telling me about it. it's like they don't tell you anything. You just have to. I just read most of all the stuff I've even learned about everything. Wow. coming. They didn't tell him anything. So yeah, I have no idea really because they, like I said, they don't tell you anything. Really, they just tell you this, and pretty much that's pretty much what they all say. It's like, oh, you're still going, man. I can't believe you're still making it. You know? Oh my God! This many years. I'm like, thanks. Yeah, okay. But you know, geez, what a good advice. Yeah, if I would have listened to them the first time, they told me, and it makes you almost give up right when they tell you that. You know, like five years ago, they told me I had two to five at the most, but usually, like, it goes quick, they said, with that kind. I was like, wow. They shouldn't tell that because it makes people give up because they don't know, you know, anyway. They don't know. No, They never know. Nobody, everybody's different, you know. I know. That, but, and also, yeah, it's a shame they're, they're doing it like that with you because I, I got a – Honestly, the oncologist I went to and the whole team there—I mean, mm-hmm. they were so positive that I—I I mean, I was—I was drawing strength from some people who were fighting. There's a guy in the '70s fighting leukemia mm-hmm. for over five years, and I said, I just sat there thinking, yeah. this guy's a lot tougher than I am, way tougher than I am in the '70s of all things, you know. Oh, and, geez. Where, where were you at? In California? Is that where you went? Yeah. Yeah. California hospital. Oh, okay. California, and I found out uh, it was. You know, the gold standard to everybody is City of Hope, uh, but I'm glad I didn't go there because they said – because the only doctor I talked to there uh, was one. He was a real cantankerous guy, not the type of guy that makes you want to go on living, really, but um, uh, he, he wanted to do all this different stuff to me, radiation in addition and a number of other things, and the oncologist I – I decide to stay with uh, says I really don't think radiation's in order, um, and it wasn't. Um, so, is that? I mean, every doctor's different, I guess. Yeah. But. Yeah, that stuff's horrible. You didn't have it because that, that was worse than chemo almost for me. Radiation. Oh, I'm so oh. sorry, man. Ugh. Well, I, that was a while back. I had all that. Hey, Jerry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Jerry, I may have something yeah. that may make you feel a little bit better. Do you know Mondo Guerrero's theme song? Theme song? Yeah, hold on. I can't remember. We didn't have music. Well, you get the gist of it there. Oh, my God. From Muscle Rock Madness. Yeah, it's the theme song from Mondo Guerrero. When did he play that? I, I never heard of that one. Kurt, when did On he play AWA that? <laughs> that was, I, I want to say it was like 86 or 87 for a promotion called Muscle Rock, uh, run by this guy named Eric Shaw. <laughs> you know, that was, remember back in the day, once WWE was really huge nationally, how... Uh, everybody with a couple of dollars behind him decided, hey, I'm going to promote wrestling and, you know, be the next Vince McMahon. You know, yeah. they, they all had this notion. Uh-huh. Well, all you have to do is get in there and look cool and uh, get TV and... And use the word <laughs> rock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I was just watching that movie, I mean, uh, whatchamacallit, Jim Carrey, the Andy Kaufman movie. And Mondo oh, and yeah. I was cracking up, picking up story, stories of him. <laughs> I can't watch him without thinking of everything he did. Crazy. Oh my God. <laughs> Scott, what were Funny. you going to say? Oh, I just wanted to know if you also had that Rufus R. Jones single queued up. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to say it on the regular <laughs> podcast. 
uh, in a little while. But um, thank you, Frank the Collector, oh. for sending me the Rufus R. Jones single on vinyl. I am very, very thankful. After the uh, Junkyard Dog Vicky Sue Robinson single was destroyed by the postal office in the mail. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for sending me a new record. I really do appreciate it, Frank. Good stuff. Rufus was a nice—he was a nice guy, though, really. And then, funny thing was, he back in when he was in Florida in '82, I think it was. He, uh, I wouldn't have to work him a lot on house shows, and he could actually wrestle. You know, I mean, we were doing like really? amateur type wrestling match house shows. Yeah, TVs when he did all of his, you know, the stuff Dusty Rhodes took from him or whoever, Thunderbolt, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But no, I mean, he was pretty good. I mean, technical wrestler. I was, I was kind of surprised, you know. That's cool. Made a lot of trips with him. He was a funny guy. I remember Pat Tanaka was in, because you were asking about Pat Tanaka last time, uh, Brian. Yeah. He would be in the back seat with uh, Scott McGee, stretching him every minute. So he's such a judo expert. <laughs> really defending it good. Because uh, Scott McGee was having him cry almost, putting him in holds the whole way, the whole trip. I mean, Rufus would be in the front. <laughs> uh, hey, speaking of Rufus, here's this. <laughs> There it is. Standing by the window. <laughs> oh my God. With <laughs> in your eyes. Oh my God. I wonder <laughs> if he told you a lie. See the sadness on my face, Rufus. Rufus. Listen to this shit. That's, really anyway, him, this, right? <laughs> that's not the way by Rufus R. Jones on Rufus R. Jones record. And as she says, Rufus R. Jones wrestles with that's not the way, which is a way of yeah, oh, singing. Yeah. He wrestles with the song. That's the way he really talked. He really talked <laughs> and, about that too. And on the Rufus R. Jones that's label. Good. Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I never thought of it. I read he, something somewhere. Well, hold on. Is Rufus R. Jones the first person in wrestling to – is him and Slick the first father and son, second-generation wrestler, wrestlers with records? Wow. Not really Slick um, dad, though. That's what I I've mean, always heard. I don't adopted. Know. He never told me. I, 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 I know. Looked it up. He never no, he's not. looked it up just the other day. Adopted. He's uh, – I don't know if you're an English son. Yeah. But he I is a son. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> but know, to, um, to your original question, that's got to be. I wonder what <laughs> pro wrestlers in uh, 45s and LPs are, you know, just kind of lurking around that we're not aware of yet from the past. Like, oh. I remember stumbling across the Thunder Sugiyama LP. I'd love to get that. <laughs> oh, the, the Mad Dog Vachon rap single. Is incredible. Oh, okay. I got that one. <laughs> I didn't even know about that. <laughs> oh my god! It's in French. <laughs> I'm not kidding. You know, I actually now that I think of it, uh, late uh, Brian Christopher did some stuff. So I, I, that's another father and son, Brian Ooh. Christopher and Jerry Lawler that that made bad wrestling records. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. What was the Brian Christopher record? Okay. 
I don't know if it. I don't know if it. Yeah. Okay. I can't Can even I think of it. It was thing. a download, but I don't know. If it... Jerry, what are you trying to say? Okay. Sorry. Rufus R. Jones, this is important, because um, Jack Pfeffer had a Hobo Brazil. And so I read somewhere yep. that that was Rufus R. Jones. Does anybody know that? If that was him? I heard that, I heard Brazil that too. Person. I don't know if it's true or not, but I heard yeah. that too. I've heard that, yeah. Yeah, because I know Dusty said he started out there with, um, whatchamacallit, Tony Santos and Rufus and him went to eat at uh, you know, the uh, uh, Thanksgiving dinner at the, whatever they call that, where you get soup line or whatever. He saw Rufus yeah. there at the same time. Tony Santo. Yeah, Pepper. there's a lot of guys who that was really true. started with uh, Tony Santos, Chris Colt, and uh, Ron Dupree under different names. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Patterson. Uh, yeah, Jack. That's right. Yes. Yes, Pat Patterson. A lot of Montreal guys. Yeah. yeah. Ron Garvin. Ron Garvin. Hey, speaking of Montreal, this came up. Yeah. Here's the Mad Dog Vachon rap. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I fucking love this. This is a rap the way that West End Girls is a rap. In fact, did Butcher Fat Sean ever put out an album? Because he actually had some singing chops on him. Why didn't they have him on Wrestle Rock Rumble? He's a better rapper, clearly, <laughs> yes, than yeah. everyone yes. on there next to Nick Bonwinkle. One year I was at Cauliflower Alley when it was still in Studio City, and he sang there, and his voice was great, but the song was the most schmaltzy, sentimental thing, and all of us at the table are kind of looking at each other, and then he's done, and uh, one of the other people they honored that night was the actor John Agar, uh, the sci-fi star in the 60s, and he sung a song just in the same vein, and... um, yeah, Pat Ho and I are looking at each other. So, so when we're like in our seventies, are we going to be up there going, "Come a, come a, come a, come, yeah, yeah, yeah," doing some handyman covers or something like that? I'd sound better than Dwayne did in What's Happening. Yeah, tell me if you know this song, Kurt. Here's a cover song. We're doing <laughs> wrestling records. Oh God. He just beat Charlie Brown. Some face in. Did you do a talk up? Won't stop till he has the belt. But he won't get the gold because he's getting old. Now you can tell your friends that the geek has reached the end. Yeah, the geek has reached the end. 
Now, come on. <laughs> I was never aware of that. What is that? Tell me the story. <laughs> the Mighty Islands off their collection, Face, Rake, and Rock. Scott actually turned me on to this many, many years ago. It is, uh, yeah, the Mighty Ions with Pedro Morales. That, oh, oh that's epic. <laughs> that is epic. Oh, and my our, God. And our friend, uh, our friend John McAdam, who is from Boston, where the Mighty Ions hail from, says that it, when that was first put out, he, he could actually drive around and hear that song being played on the radio. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> what other rare that, ones can we discover? I mean, Larry Zabisco is not rare. Everyone knows Boo on Me by this point. Do they? Oh, jeez. <laughs> I bet you there's some going way back that we don't even know about even. Or, or uh, Well, like, who knew yeah, about the Sweet just... Daddy Seeky ones until they started hitting eBay all the time? Ah. Uh, and that's actually one I probably want more than a lot of others, you know? Well, he he still has a regular karaoke job in uh, Toronto, and uh, one of the great current rockabilly performers, a pal of mine named Bloodshot Bill, was just going through Toronto, and he did uh, karaoke with Siki the other day, like last week. Oh, wow. Siki looks great. How old is he? For, he was good. <laughs> I, I'm saying he looks great for a very old man. <laughs> I mean, because he, he's way up there. I mean, he's probably in the running of the oldest wrestlers, oldest surviving wrestlers. Yeah. He was I'm, good in his prime, too, on big, the Sheik's wrestling, big-time wrestling. He was, yeah? Yeah, he was a good, good bump. I bump thought he was one of the coolest. I, I loved I, – I, oh, yeah. uh, I never had the magazine, but in the 60s, they uh, the equivalent – the Stanley Weston mag did this uh, story on him, and they did this whole – photo essay of him hanging out with the beatniks i think in san francisco or something like that and and i just thought okay this is fucking art here <laughs> that was before bill after wrote stories about uh, the computer named matilda who had to be destroyed because because <laughs> it was it was built so that it could like save mankind or uh you know, feed the children or something, but Oliver Humperdinck got a hold of it uh, and designed it to destroy the uh, Briscoes. And so the scientist weeping uh, said, Matilda must be destroyed. That still wasn't as silly like as Lars Anderson being the bionic wrestler. Oh, were you out in California? They did a really when out. Louis was Judah. I was there when Louis Tillet was, uh, when Louis Tillet, um, I kind of, you know, I, a lot of people disagree. I thought his booking was good, with the exception that he first presented himself as the, as like a, a commissioner who's here to, you know, clean up all the, you know, heels mess and stuff like that. <laughs> and then suddenly one week oh, he's a wrestler, well, and and he's wrestling. Okay, he's wrestling huh. Sir Oliver Humperdinck on TV, and he's oh, getting yeah. his butt kicked by Sir Oliver Humperdinck. You know, starts to make a bit of a comeback, and then like a few weeks later, he suddenly puts himself on top and gives himself the America's title. Um, uh, Walton talks kindly about him, but I, I do remember a fan going up to Walton, Walton and saying, uh, "Hey, whatever happened to Louis Tillet?" And Walton, in his very polite voice, says, "You know, I don't know, and I really don't care." <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you know, that's the only time I ever heard bad stuff. About, 
that's the only time I heard bad stuff about Tillet, yeah. and, and I think Walton later explained that he was going through like a, a crisis. I guess his wife left him, and um, he was going through a bad, bad, bad time. Yeah, you know Greg Valentine. Jerry was, he? was one of the best workers he ever. I'm sorry. He ever worked with because can you hear me? You guys hear me? Or? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. I think we're talking Hello? over you. Sorry yeah, about Jer- that. <laughs> yeah, Jerry, it's a little bit of talking oh. over each other. Don't worry about it. Jerry, say what you're going to say, and then when you're done, Scott, jump in. I know you had something to say. Oh, okay. I couldn't hear anybody else. Okay, sorry about that. Um, I was just saying that Greg Valentine, I asked him about Louis Tillet, and he told me that was one of the best workers he ever worked with, psychology, but he just didn't have the look like if he would have had a, a look like you know Hulk Hogan or Austin Idol or somebody, he would have been the best. That's from Greg yep. Valentine. So. Part of my smartening yeah, uh, process as a little kid was, you know, I'd watch him weekly, and I and I actually dug him. I did think it was weird that he was the America's champ when you had all these people like Valentine Tolis and stuff like that. But um, I still dug yeah. him. Uh, he teamed with Dennis Dennis Stamp, and they uh, Dennis Stamp was mm-hmm. I, they they gave him a lot of mic time, and he was awesome. I loved Dennis Stamp, but. Um, that was part of my spartaning up process because my mom worked up in Sacramento in Roy Shire territory. And one weekend I go there and there's Pat Patterson and I can't remember who he, he was teaming with, but on the other team, there's Louis Tillet. And, you know, being the naive little twit I was, I said, Hey, he's not wearing his American championship belt. I wonder why. And then I see him cussing out the fans. <laughs> oh, he's a bad guy now. Oh, uh, you know, <laughs> And the same thing, Pat Patterson sometimes would come down to L.A. and job to, you know, one of the mid-carters. And, you know, so living in California and going to both North and South was was a great learning experience as a fan. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, what were you going to say before? I was asking, going to ask Jerry, did did you ever work with or work for Louis Tillett? How was he to you? Yeah, he trained me actually. He trained me, and um, oh my god, I worked for him. Yeah, I worked for him, and um, that one I was talking about where uh, John Stud was so stiff uh, up in Mid Atlantic. Yeah, he was the assistant booker up there in '82, I think it was, with Ole Anderson. Mm-hmm. And then he had his own own territory a couple times. I told those stories mm-hmm. before in Ohio with Buddy Fuller, and when uh, I was right. Eddie That's Mansfield and all that. Yeah, all those stories. But Louis, uh, he actually trained me. So, yeah, was cool. he. I remember he was booking when he uh, did an angle where he turned a Gordon and Goliath babyface against the Hollywood Blondes, and uh, I actually thought that was one of the best programs that year. That was a really good feud. Again, yeah, Gordon I'm and a, Goliath yeah. were awesome both as babyfaces and heels. They're known. They're remembered as heels, but they were great faces too. I remember that from the magazine. Those that feud going on with uh, Gordon Mangalath and Louis. With, he was with them, right? Oh, it, it was Louis classic. Was. I wish I wish some yeah. of that footage survived. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> well, guys, and the, the, uh, is that it? <laughs> well, I was about to say something, but Kurt, go ahead. You were you were. Well, so I was just going to say the the funniest angle they did. That just came off as campy. You know, Tillet managed uh, Gordon and Goliath, and uh, they all got each other over beautifully. There's one uh, angle they did where in the main event they were wrestling a tag team, and there was a white guy who uh, was very clearly Gene LaBelle under a mask who called himself Super Mix. And Gordon and Goliath are scowling at him, and Louis Tillet says, you're not Mexican, are you? And so at the end of the match... Uh, 
they they tie uh, super mechs up in the ropes, and uh, Gordon and Goliath start putting ankle locks on him, and Tele says, are you really Mexican? Are you Mexican? He goes, I am! I certainly am! And he says, uh, he says well, then speak Spanish! And he goes, I, I, I can't! And he says, who made you do this? Who paid you? Oh, oh Humperdinck! And, and everybody there said, oh, Judo Jean, all right. <laughs> it was oh awesome. Yeah. Jeez. And the funny part was how Gino Bell could kick half on probably half the dressing room, but he'd wrestle yeah. as the hangman and, and just get himself just beaten pillar to post each time. <laughs> yeah, there was no bigger badass in wrestling history that didn't show it on TV ever, like Gene LaBelle. I loved it. He would yeah. he would act afraid of the Wolfman, like, uh, he's wild, he's going <laughs> to destroy me, Jeff Walton, save me! <laughs> I loved L.A. wrestling. It was so kitschy. Well, guys, as uh, we begin to wrap things up here on Star Wars, we're about to the three-hour mark, and uh, I'm starting to feel a little tired, Mm -hmm. so that's a good time to wrap things up. Uh, (laughs) As we uh, begin to wrap things up, we'll let everyone say goodbye here on the show. Uh, We will start with the golden boy, Jerry Gray. Anything you want to say to the listeners of the Super Podcast? I'm just happy to be back on again, and I need to do this every every few days just to keep me keep me I'm having a center because the doctors don't give give me any. <laughs> okay, the doctors I'm don't totally give me up any that. that keeps me keeps me going for a little while at least. No, so thanks a lot for everything, and um, I'll just say Spanish since uh, Gene LaBelle wouldn't. Adios, amigos. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, if you enjoy Jerry on the show and you can and want to support him, you could do so at tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. All the money goes directly to Jerry, directly to him for his medical bills, for food, for his other bills, whatever you could do to help. tinyurl.com slash GoFundGoldenBoy. And uh, we all appreciate it, not just Jerry, but everyone with the show appreciates you helping him out. Scott, any final words this week? Well, I don't know if I even bring point, but I think I should read that Dave Meltzer article. A really interesting article this week uh, that that reveals that Diamond Dust Page appeared it all in for free. And uh, they, they, they interviewed him about it, and he said, when I first heard, he did a podcast interview with some guy, and he said, when I first heard Cody was doing all in, I said to him, you know, I don't do diamond cutters anymore. That's the first thing he thought when he heard the coach thing <laughs> all in. <laughs> I don't do diamond cutters anymore. What? He says, I mean, he says, you know, I, you know, I don't do diamond cutters anymore. I mean, if the WWE calls me, I'll fucking do a diamond cutter, but not kind of wrestling company. He goes on further to say, I've been offered $10,000. I'm not hitting that mat anymore, but for Cody, I told him, if you need me for anything, I said, I'm there, and I wouldn't charge him nothing. I'm sure plenty of people got paid a lot of money to be there. I took nothing, and I won't take nothing from him. And I just thought that was in- incredible to hear, and I'm glad that, considering he, he did that for free, that I hope he made enough money the rest of that weekend with his seminars and his signings and his appearances and all that kind of stuff, because... uh to get himself in, you know, the main event title match 
on one of the biggest independent wrestling shows, even for free, had to been a big, you know, a big financial hit for him. So kudos to Diamond Dallas Page. Hello. Is Brian alive? I'm, yeah, sorry, I was on mute. Hello. I, was, I, was, I was sitting here saying, who the fuck? I'd call bullshit on who paid him $10,000 to do a diamond cutter. Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. He's... he's... <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, we're ridiculous. (laughs) But uh, on that note, Kurt Brown, Vandal Drummond, so many other names. What do you want to say to the listeners? (laughs) The name we should should trust again, Yom Ripor. Yom Ripor. What do you say here? That's right. Star Wars. Who who proudly defeated the Ku Klux Klown and Harley Racist. Um, And uh, I always (laughs) want to plug LuchaWorld.com, Alfredo Esparza's webpage, along with uh, Matt Farmer, Jose Fernandez, and Steve Sims. Uh, Alfredo is the best lucha historian in America. Awesome, awesome stuff, Uh, especially his uh, read-up on his tribute to uh, Viano Teixeira, who just passed recently. And uh, my Facebook page, the Pulpo Pages of Journeyman. Check that out on Facebook. I just uh, did a little uh, cat weasel. Yes, yes. One of my heroes from uh, when I was a teenager, I had these heroes that I never got to see wrestle. Uh, And when when I used to subscribe to Ring Sport Magazine, Cat Weasel was the one guy I really wanted to see. Him and Adrian Street. That's before Adrian Street came to the States. And, um, And Jerry, just want to say it's awesome talking to you. And I hope we can talk some more to Portland territory soon again. Yeah, brother. Sounds good. I'm yeah, still here, awesome. by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that? Everyone's still here, but uh, on that note, <laughs> Bits, anything you want to say here at the end of the program? Not that I can think of, no. Okay. Well, thank you once again. A memorable appearance from David Bixen Span and everyone else. We want to remind you that the Super Podcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. For everyone who's here on the show, I'm the great Brian Last. Happy New Year to all the Jewish listeners and to everyone else. We hope you've enjoyed Yom Kippur, Star Wars, and we will see you next time. Tally-ho!